Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This week, we've got a couple of shot upsets on the card. Plus, we've got all the rest of the action from across the weekend. We've got boxing history and this week in boxing history on the show. And we've also got the news and gossip and all the major stuff that's been going on around the world. Plus, a great segment on the show this week. It's the Q&A segment. And it's the first official Q&A segment. And we've got quite a few questions to go through. All in episode 52 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Hello to you, the podcast listener, and welcome to episode 52 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Sean Basto, your host here, as always. And today, I'm going to be joined by Hamed Saman, returning to the podcast since a little hiatus, probably from the bashing that he might have took from Martin Theobald, New Age Boxing, a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to talk to him about that in a couple of minutes. But, no, it's great to be back on a little bit later in the week uh, than usual. It's been a very busy week for me, personally, so trying to time to fit this in is always difficult but there's a lot to cover in this episode there's so many fights that went on over the weekend it was a really good weekend for boxing in general some great fights some not so great fights we had some shock upsets which we're going to be talking about on the show and we got some some really great performances over the weekend as well and then as always we've got the boxing history segment where it's this week in boxing history We've got all this action from the weekend coming up. And then we've got the Q&A segment, as I said, at the top of the show there. Really looking forward to answering the questions of a few of the long-time listeners. Uh, and a couple from a few new listeners as well, which is really great to get that feedback from. So, let's get on with the show then, and let's start at this weekend's action. But first of all, bring Hamed back into the show. Hamed, how's it going? 
Yeah, hello, Sean. How's it going? Uh, I haven't been on the podcast, I don't, I don't think, for a while. But how you been keeping? Yeah, I've been all right, Ahmed. Uh, apart, I've just, just been saying before we uh, we started recording that, full of a chest infection this week, but I'm recovering a bit now, so I'm able to, to get on. That's why I've done it a little bit later this week, the podcast, because I've been so uh, run down over the weekend that I had to catch up with all the boxing as opposed to being able to watch it on the night. So I spent a few days sort of catching up with bits and bats, and then obviously there's loads of stuff coming out in the news, which we'll, we'll discuss later on. So lots to talk about. Uh, great to have you back on obviously we had you for a short while on the uh, one year episode but it's great to have you back on for the full episode and uh, excited to talk about what's been going on it's uh, some great debatable points to go through on today's show and I'm sure you'll uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot to get off your chest literally in this episode about all the stuff that's been going on but I think we we want we want to start where we usually start on the show and we always start at what's happened over the weekend and obviously I make a list of the most notable fights which I think that people may have caught up with over the weekend. And uh, this is in no particular order. So I wanted to start with the World Boxing Super Series card. Not because I thought it was the best card of the weekend, just because it's the order I've put it in <laughs> on the show notes. So the first fight that I put on there was obviously Zelani Tetti picking up the victory over Mikhail Aleon, uh, defending his WBO Bantamweight title, winning via unanimous decision over the weekend. So as I was saying I didn't watch it there and then at the time but I've caught up with it now and um, I heard Michael Montero on Montero on Boxing Podcast talking about Zolani Tete when I was listening to it today and he, he, he's he got this opinion that he thinks Tete is going to win this Bantamweight tournament but on last week's episode I just I, I said it and I'll say it again I think Anue is the man to, to beat in, in this tournament and I think he's the one that everybody should be looking towards as a potential winner I don't think I was overly impressed with Tete's performance over the weekend, and I, I, I do feel he's a great, you know, he's a great opponent. He is, he has been undefeated in what since 2010, I think it is about eight and a half years now. He's he's been undefeated, so obviously he's a guy that you've got to take very very seriously. And we've seen what he's done to people like Paul Butler in the past, and uh, the way he's really really come to the forefront of everyone's mind as of recent years, but I, I wasn't overly impressed with him in this fight over the weekend. Uh, did you get a chance to catch up with that one, Hamid? And, and what, what are your thoughts on Tete and him being the potential winner of that tournament? Oh, so you didn't manage to watch the full fight? Uh, no, I did. I watched the fight, but I wasn't oh. over, I wasn't overly impressed with him. I, I, there's nothing I haven't already seen from him. I wasn't really like... Like, Anue the week before... He, the way he dispatched the Payano was was very impressive, but I didn't think Zelani Tete was. It just felt like he he wasn't really getting out of second gear. Okay, all right. All right so you watched the fight. That's all right. Uh, I did manage to watch the fight. I don't think the whole card was good. The whole WB World Boxing Super Series card was good. If I'm being honest, uh, that that wasn't a good fight. Uh, I thought it was really bad. I, I was finding it hard to watch. Both those fights, I don't think it was that good of a performance as well. If I'm being honest, I agree with you on this. Because uh, Tete normally sits on his shots. But in this, is a lot of clinching. And against the opponent who had, if I recall, only four fights. Uh, yeah. I don't think, if you compare that to Anui, he wasn't that impressive, I don't think. I think he was more impressive when he 
when he blasted our Paul Butler, I know some of these opponents, uh, the other guy that he knocked out in, was it eight to six seconds, like one of the fastest kills in boxing. Yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. impressive because yeah. he showed some new dimensions. But technically, he got the job done. I think we'll be able to judge him more maybe on the next round. Maybe it was just a case of stalls just didn't gel up. Uh, I'd be quite worried if I'm picking Tete to win this, if anyone is. I'm not personally. I'm, I think Anu is clearly the favourite. Um, I think uh, I wouldn't even say Tete the second favourite at the moment. I, I haven't been too impressed with the last couple of fights. He also didn't impress me against Omar Navais, the guy that Inui knocked out in two rounds. The only guy to knock out Navais. I think he went 12 rounds with a prime peak, Nonito Donet. So... Uh, I don't think I've been too sold on Tete lately. I, I, I just don't think he's performed to his capability or he hasn't, He just hasn't been as, as impressive as when he burst onto the scene. But as for the fight, I, I don't think it's that good of a fight. And I really, yeah, I, I've got nothing more to add. I think he's just got the win. And I think as Larry Merchant said, win today, look good tomorrow. Yeah, good next time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with what you're saying there. I think people are forgetting about Ryan Burnett, and obviously he's got Nonito Donaire, and then you know, you know, in November the third on the Josh Taylor uh, fight as well with Ryan Martin. So there's that one to look out for. I think people are forgetting about Ryan Burnett, so he, he'll be an interesting one. To see how he gets on, and, and whether he impresses in his fight, and, and if he dispatches of Donaire in emphatic fashion, then maybe it starts to weigh balance out a little bit of, of, of favoritism for who's going to win it. But at the moment, anyway for me on that undercard the other notable fight that uh, I did manage to catch the highlights of uh, was Andrew T- <laughs> I say highlights sparingly uh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Tabiti versus uh, Ruslan Pfeiffer uh, he beat, uh, Tabiti beats him over 12 rounds and that's the cruiserweight season 2 that we're talking about here and obviously I was a bit sceptical about having a second cruiserweight tournament this year but I think it'll be decent once it hots up but again this wasn't a great opening fight for the, the Cruiserweight season 2 but to beat is an undefeated fighter and somebody who's now getting the the, the, the limelight uh, so to speak of, of what he hasn't had before and this is a good place for him to sort of start showing what type of fighter he is and I don't think he had the the, 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 the great opponent to, to do it against um, on Saturday and I think People will argue, you know, he looked a bit slow and a bit ponderous at times, but you've got to give the guy an opportunity to, to get in. And Styles do make fights. It's a cliche saying, it's a saying everybody always mentions uh, in different boxing programs or podcasts or whatever. But it's true, it, this, this didn't really match up styles wise, and that's why it didn't seem as a good of a fight as what it could have been on paper. And Tabiti moves on, but. When we see him in with maybe one of the bigger boys of the division, you know, we've got Dorticos's fight with Masternak coming up soon as well. Maybe when you see him in with someone like Adorticos, then maybe you will see the best of him. And maybe this is his opportunity to, to become, you know, a well-known fighter and, and, you know, potentially put himself on the top of the Cruiserweight mountain. Obviously, we can talk about Bellew and Usyk at some point later on down the line, but as it stands... It wasn't a fantastic fight, but it's only as good as what you can you can make out of it and what's put in front of you and the style you're fighting against. And, and I know you mentioned it just before, Hamid. You said you wasn't overly impressed with this one either, was you? Uh, this this was one of the worst fights I think in the World Boxing Super Series. The whole uh, since the whole uh, tournament started uh, from what was the last year. This was a really bad fight. Uh, I wouldn't advise anyone to watch. It's not. I don't think anyone would 
probably want to rewatch it or watch it if they missed it. Uh, it was hard, really hard to watch this fight. There's way too much holding, clinching, not not enough shots thrown, and there's too much wrestling going on. And is probably one of the worst fights I think I've seen along with the Lawrence Coley and what was the Matty Askins fight recently and probably this year. It was a really bad fight, but Tabiti did get the win. I think he's been scouted as one of the favourites. I'm not pretty sure. I'm not. Uh, Pretty sure I agree with that. I think I agree with you. I think Dotikos and I think it's Gassi, not Gassiev, uh, yeah, Bredis. Those are probably the two favorites in the tournament. But there's a couple of other really good fighters as well. Uh, I forgot the, one of the other fighters' names. I think it's Glowacki, if I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, right, yeah. There's a lot of other fighters I'd probably favor more than Tabiti. I think Tabiti is kind of unproven, but that's why I like these tournaments because we get to see a lot of these prospects. These fighters are unproven, get tested, and I think I've seen him beat Steen Cunningham. I think his last day on the undercard of McGregor and Mayweather. I thought he was kind of impressive then, but I think the opponent he was fighting Cunningham had seen much better days. Of course, yeah. I, I think we'll get to see how good Tabiti is as the tournament progresses. No, that's what I mean. This is the chance for him and the platform to do it on. So I agree with that. I, I do agree. If he is going to be a, a an elite level fighter, this is the opportunity for him to do it and the stage to do it on. He's got no greater opportunity here. So we'll look forward to hopefully seeing a better fight the next time round with him and, and obviously looking forward to the other cruiserweights uh, going forward. But uh, another card on over the weekend, which I talked about on last week's show, was Terence Crawford and Jose Benavidez Jr. going the distance, well, near enough the distance, until uh, that was a cracking shot from Terence Crawford that stopped Jose Benavidez in round number 12. And I wasn't sure what to expect out of the fight because Jose Benavidez, uh, he obviously had a 27-0 record going into this, but the record wasn't really... Uh, on paper, look, it looks great, but then when you look deeper into the record, it, it wasn't a record where you say how many actual fighters has he beaten with good winning records, and there weren't a lot of them, and I think that was a telling factor in this on the night, whereas Crawford obviously has been in with, with some really good fighters and some, some elite level fighters, and he's just shown again that he is he is an elite fighter, and he absolutely dominated that fight for me against Jose Benavidez, and Stopping him in the 12th round was just the, the cherry on the cake, really, or the icing on the cake. It was just a nice, sweet shot that he caught him with, and he, his legs just went. Now, I didn't know this before the fight, but I didn't know Jose Benavidez had, uh, Benavidez had been shot in the past and yeah. had some issues with his legs. I actually never knew that fact until earlier on today, funnily enough. And when I heard about it, I, I wasn't going to sit there and say it was an excuse for his loss because it by far wasn't. But when I watch the fight back after hearing that I can now now I've, now I've noticed it and I've noticed it even more and I'm thinking actually he's done really really well considering what he had gone through in his life and, and to where he's got to actually he's done really really well and to go near enough the distance with Crawford who by everyone's uh, opinion and, and a lot of the ratings and rankings that are going around he's practically up there at the top between him and Lomachenko are the two 
well-regarded fighters, um, best fighters in the world at the moment. And again, Crawford shown it. He was well up on the scorecards. I think there was one scorecard which I remember seeing on uh, social media, which was a bit iffy. And I thought uh, I didn't think it was. It was a lot closer than what the other judges had it had. But anyway, uh, we we get that all the time in boxing, and practically every weekend we always get an iffy judges scorecard. But um, he looked really good again, Crawford. And I just now I think. Who else do you want to see him face but Errol Spence? I just He's just going to keep, for me, just going to keep knocking out these fighters that are clearly just a level below him. What about you, Hamed? Then what did you think of Crawford's performance on Saturday night? Yeah, I thought this was a really, really good fight. Exceeded expectations. I did stay up for the fight. I thought uh, this was obviously, I thought, the main card and fight of the weekend. Uh, I personally, I wouldn't say he dominated the fight because I thought Benavidez won the early rounds. I thought in the first five rounds, arguably it was 3-2 up, but my card was 3-2 up. But from round six on, I think Crawford just turned the switch on and uh, completely dominated and uh, puzzled him out and figured him out. And it reminded me, I dare say, like a bit like Mayweather when he used to figure opponents out when I think he was fighting guys like uh, Medana and I think it was maybe Canelo. When it, it took him a couple of rounds and he'd end up just... Uh, just uh, uh, winning round after round and stacking up rounds. But I personally thought it was a very competitive fight. Uh, up till about round eight, I think, or maybe nine, I can't remember. I thought it was a very competitive fight, even though I thought Crawford was winning majority of the rounds up till then. Benavides was uh, very competitive in the fight and was uh, doing better than I think a lot of people give him credit for. I wasn't too aware of who Benavides was. I did... I did re- recall him losing to Mauricio Herrera, but I completely forgot about that. I remember that was the same night, I think, as Khan fought Alexander. and Br- That was on the undercard, I think, of Bradley and Diego Chavez when they drew. But I didn't, I didn't really remember. I kind of forgot about it because I wasn't too familiar with him. And he, I think, got shot in the leg. So for a couple of years, he kind of disappeared. Uh, he was a very good fighter. And I think he probably gave Crawford his toughest fight. I think... I think some of the criticism that Crawford has got, and I've talked about this and gone back and forth with people online and on other podcasts this past couple of days, that I think has been over the top. I think uh, 147 is is Crawford's ceiling, and uh, I think uh, I can't see him moving up uh, to light middleweight. He's a welterweight uh, max, and uh, this fight showed he had to puzzle out and figure out a, a Benav- who is Benavides Jr., who's a very good fighter, was a former sparring partner of Pacquiao, I think at the age of 16. And uh, he was six foot, and you could tell that Crawford is not a natural welterweight. But I will give... Uh, I will give Benavides credit because he looked like, well, according to him, he said his leg went after the sixth round. I, I don't think it was the same as, say, when Hayes' leg went against Bellu. Like, there's nowhere near on the same level. Or, say, the way Martinez is, Sergio Martinez' leg, uh, knees went against, was it Martin Murray and I think against Cotto. But nonetheless, I think if Jose Benavides is maybe if his knee was 100%, maybe he might have done slightly more better, but I don't think he would have made much of a difference. I just think Crawford was on a different level, and I like the fact he stopped him in the 12th round. He kind of closed the show. I don't think Benavidez, no way was he winning that fight. I think I've heard him saying in a couple of interviews that he thought he was ahead. Uh, I think at best, he won about four rounds. I had the 7-4, I think, going into the 12th round. 
but I think it could be even stretch it to 8-3 in rounds. And I think Crawford just clearly won the fight. It was a good statement and a good win from him and a good knockout. Uh, I think going forward, the fight we want to see is Errol Spence, but I'm not too sure if that happens uh, straight away, no. Going on the undercard then, Hamed. Uh, very impressive prospect. Badenia Mushkur Stevenson picked up a first-round knockout against Viriel Simeon. Now, Viriel Simeon, I spoke about him on the last week's episode. Yes, he's 36 years old. 2004 Olympian. But has been in with some really well-known fighters in the past. And I wasn't expecting this fight to end the way it did. I was expecting him to give Stevenson some rounds. Now, fighters that will British public will know is people like Scott Quigg, who he fought last year, people like Lee Selby, who he fought uh, a few years back as well. So there's, there's guys there on that list that you know that he's been in the ring with, and he, he, uh, he's not someone that... You kind of expect uh, he's he's not someone who was frequently stopped. He has been stopped a couple of times in his career, but he does tend to take a lot of fighters the rounds. And this was you know expected for Shakur Stevenson with him having to step up, and Stevenson just blew him away. And I I, I was honestly shocked. I was just like, wow, this you know this kid, this kid's for real. This Stevenson is for real, and he's he's a guy that we seriously need to be looking out for in the superweight featherweight division especially over in the in the UK and obviously you know super featherweight prospects that, that we've got this guy Chris Stevenson he looks uh, at the part and he, you know I'm really excited to see whether you know we see him over here in the future and whether we get to see him in with some of the the big fighters of the division I mean you've got guys like Giovanni Davis floating around uh, up at the top end uh, you know of the of the division but you know, I could see you could see him fighting somebody like uh, like a Stephen Smith. You know, Stephen Smith obviously he's had a couple of world title attempts and failed, but this could be a guy who could end up being a bit of a feed him to the lions situation. You know, we could see him come over to somewhere like the UK, and, or, or maybe Smith could go over and get a good payday to go and fight Stevenson over there. But he, he looks the part, the Stevenson, and I am really excited to see where his career goes. Did you manage to catch that fight or any of the highlights of it? I mean, the knockout was pretty pretty decent as well, actually. Um, what did you think of Stevenson, or what do you think of Stevenson as a fighter so far? I think this, yeah, I managed to catch uh, the knockout. Uh, I was kind of dabbling between other stuff. Uh, I was watching the card live, but I had to uh, sort a couple of other stuff up. But uh, that was a statement, and I was going to say this was the kind of statement... Uh, coming out party from him uh, when he went from I think uh, a young prospect to a kind of serious uh, serious prospect that's going to probably end up as a contender it was a statement as well and I think he knocked him out in the first was it the first or second round it was first yeah First, yeah, and it was a it was a very good knockout as well. I think the one question mark we all had about, uh, about him was about Stevenson was his punching power, and he looks like he is um, quite young. But I have been kind of sold on him as a I think as a very a boxer. He has got the skills and talent, and I think he's probably more developed uh, as a fighter, much more developed than someone like Ryan Garcia, who's been getting, I think, much more hyped up in America. But he is um, promoted by top rank, and it looks like I'm hearing from now on on, he will be headlining cards. So I think he's only going to get bigger and better for Shakur Stevens and go forward. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving back over to the UK then, and the card 
over in Newcastle this weekend, which uh, had the the main event of Lewis Ritson challenging for the European title against Francesco Patera. An upset loss for Ritson in this one, one that a lot of people, I think including myself, was expecting Ritson to, to come through and Boxing is about levels and this was a step up for him and he's proven that he needs to go away, go back to the drawing board uh, and and plan uh, a second shot at European glory. I think this fight was going Ritten's way within the first few rounds and then when he got caught off a body shot from Patera, I think it was like the fourth or the fifth round, you could see visibly that he was... In a lot of pain, he was trying so hard to, you know, to maintain that poker face to show Patera he wasn't hurt, but he really couldn't, he couldn't hide it, and that's where the fight changed for me, and that's where Patera took over, and respect for him, you know, he won the fight and he won it fair and square, apart from that one scorecard, which give it to Ritson, which. Ritson comes out at the end in the interview and says, you know, the better man won it on the night. So why one of the judges give an Adelaide? style scorecard uh, Adelaide Bird that is <laughs> a style scorecard for Ritz and I do not know and that's why I was saying at the top of the show about dodgy scorecards and it seems to be every week at least one judgy scorecard is really really off and for me that one was really really off and I don't know I don't know how they had Ritz and winning that fair play for Ritz and admitting you know that he, he, he did struggle in that fight at the end of it, and he he does need to go away and reassess what he needs to do next to to get back up to that level. But it's um it's one of them situations where we see it happen in boxing a lot. We see a lot of guys like Lewis Richardson get hyped up and come up short. It happens. It really does happen. It, it's not like Richardson hasn't been in with any quality operators recently it's not like he's been fed journeyman after journeyman every week who, who are there to survive and, and earn a pay packet he has been in with some quality operators he, he dispatched of Joe Murray former Olympic champion within the first round uh, he beat Scotty Cardle former British and Commonwealth champion I think it was the first or second round he's been in with some quality operators so it's not like he was fighting tomato cans do you know what I mean? With all due respect, with all due respect, it wasn't like he was fighting guys that were just literally there to survive. That's a group point. That's a group point. He, yeah. that, that's what I think. Anyway, I think that's where he goes now. Is he needs to go back and assess what he did wrong in that fight and how he can come back. I do think he, he is got the potential to be European level. Uh, I just don't think that was his time and I think he is young enough to go away and come back and, 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 and come back stronger but Hamed I'll pass it over to you I know you've obviously got some stuff to say on this one and I'd like to see what your thoughts are on, on this particular fight and the outcome and, and, and Ritson in general Yeah I, I agree with a lot of what you said I did manage to watch both the cards because uh, I think we'll get on to the John Five card but uh I did miss the first couple of rounds. I thought this was a really, really good fight. We don't really see this from matchroom prospects getting put into these type of fights in tough. I mean, it was a, it was for the European title, so it was um, kind of a step up in a way. But we don't normally see uh, Hearn and matchroom when they're normally building a prospect that they're hyping up. And I think Ritson is a really good prospect. And I think some of the hype has been real. I've been impressed. Just even in this fight, it's probably one of the f- 
first, I think, maybe fights I've seen of him live. Like, And I've seen highlights of him before. But this, even when he was losing rounds, he showed a lot to me that I think some of these prospects you don't really get to see until they eventually step up and normally ends up really bad. I thought he could have won the fight. I just think down the stretch, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Patera? Patera, yeah, Patera. I thought he just, uh, he done uh, definitely enough to win the fight. I thought he won the fight uh, about eight or seven rounds to five. I thought he kind of clearly won a close competitive fight. Uh, I, I don't see how that judge gave him uh, Ritz in the fight. I think that was more of a hometown card, but, but is is a great learning fight and a learning curve. I mean, he almost could have pulled off the uh, W there, victory. I think it was the fourth or fifth round. It looked like he was going to stop him or, or win the fight. Definitely. I think it's just uh, experience showed and I think um, maybe going back to the drawing board and maybe a couple more fights in here around this level might be the right direction. But I was really impressed by both guys and I think credit needs to be given for Ritson to a stepping up and for Patera to actually uh, pull off the victory on a hostile away territory and uh, I think that was a really good fight and it was good that I was in Newcastle and it was good that uh, we got to see a really good fight in Newcastle as well. Just a quick one then on Richardson. With him beating the level of opposition at British level that he's done and cleaning up domestically, do you throw him straight back in with a European level fighter or do you step him back down again? Oh, I... I'd maybe you want to give him one fight just to draw back. Uh, I, I wouldn't put him in with another straight away uh, fight on the Patera level. I don't think there's. I don't think that'll be a step back. That might be a step above uh, Patera. So that's probably not the right direction. If I'm being honest, I probably I'd probably put him in a. Uh, it's kind of a domestic fight. Someone who's maybe ranked. Either above, uh, not above, uh, below him, just about, or on the same level in certain people's eyes. You could probably do that, or if you want, then maybe try and find someone on the world level stage that's just on the level of Patera, maybe. But maybe one fight on the drawing board won't be too bad of an idea if they want. Well, I've had a thought about it over the weekend, and I was thinking. Ritson's cleaned up. He beat Robbie Barrett to win the British title, he beat Scotty Cardle. He beat Joe Murray. He beat Paul Highland Jr. So he'd been in with some really good opposition domestically. The only other fighter who, who comes to mind who I think would be a good fight for him would be fighting uh, Tommy Coyle. I mean, Tommy Coyle's in action on the matchroom bill in America this weekend when we, yeah. we do talk about that a little bit more uh, soon. But Tommy Coyle is uh, another good lightweight fighter who... I don't think it lasts very long because Tommy Coyle just comes to fight and you know what type of fight it's, you know what you're going to get with Tommy Coyle but he's the only other guy around domestic scene who he hasn't fought yet Lewis Richardson and without stepping up too far for me that would be a really good step for in the right direction for Lewis Richardson because he's not stepping back domestically too much he had the fight last month. Yeah. He had the fight last month with obviously a journeyman who he blew away within a couple of rounds. But I don't think I want to see him step that far back again. I think I want to see him step in with someone like Tommy Coyle, like you said, domestically maybe a Tommy Coyle fight would be good for Lewis Ritson, I think. And then maybe that step up if he if he beats Tommy Coyle, maybe what, he could step uh, up again. 
What about, say, some of the guys that probably ranked ahead of him? Like, say, Ricky Burns or Anthony Crawler. I know, I think Crawler's got a fight scheduled in November. But yes. I think Ricky Burns was scheduled to fight Josh Kelly. I think uh, he either pulled out or wasn't ready. I mean, if they could get th- that type of fighter. I think Tommy Coyle, um, based on rankings, I think it might be the best option. Because, I mean, they'll obviously, they could say he's... Uh, ranked uh, uh, right around the same uh, ranking locally, uh, domestically. But uh, style-wise, I agree. I, I think uh, Tom Cole will probably get dealt with quite badly. And I, I think he's probably made for Ritson. But I mean, if they can't get one of the other two guys in, I suppose that's not too bad of a fight. But uh, yeah, it's, it's probably quite tough to match him up at the moment. Uh, just looking at the domestic scene. Going on to the card, and another great fight on that card was Glenn Foote facing off against Robbie Davis Jr. Robbie Davis Jr. coming out the victor on points on that one. Oh, he wins the British Super Lightweight title, and he takes Glenn Foote's Commonwealth title. And it's a great turnaround for Robbie Davis Jr. in his career. And I said it on last week's episode, he had that shock defeat to the... Polish fellow whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce again because I always get it wrong. He had the shock defeat to him. He beat him in the last round of the fight and he comes straight back into the Lions' den. Uh, he beats Glenn Fort, wins the vacant British title, wins the Commonwealth title, and seemingly he's just propelled his career in the right direction. And it was a really good fight that between Glenn Fort and Robbie Davis Jr. Glenn Fort, as we all know, and the listeners will all know, he's, he's a great fighter. And we've seen him in, in with some really great fights recently, the likes of Josh Lever. That was a cracking fight a foot and lever but this one was also a really great fight but it was a good coming of age fight for Robbie Davis Jr a well deserved win for him I think and I'm really happy for him and I felt like this was I don't know about you but for me it was probably the fight of the night on that card uh, I did manage to miss the majority of that card because I was um, watching I think it's the Channel 5 card and I I can't remember what else was I doing, but uh, I didn't really get to watch the rest of the card. So I think what I've heard was a pretty good card. And the fight you said, I think uh, I read uh, after that it was uh, one of the was it one of the best fights of the card yeah. apart from the main event. Yeah, no, it was. I felt it was the uh, the for me the best fight of that card. And okay. I, I, I think the Ritson fight was really, really good because obviously everyone was there to see Ritson. But I think that fight for me was probably the the, the, the most exciting one on the card anyway. And, and I really enjoyed it. And obviously I want to I don't want to touch too much on everything else that went on in the card because I don't feel like there, there was a major significant amount of uh, meaningful fights on the card. But I will touch on uh, a few of the other bits and bats of information from that card that people, if they watched it, will know. So... One notable thing to mention that really chuckled me over the weekend, um, when I did manage to get to watch some of the fights and catch up on some of the stuff, the character that is Dave Allen. Now, I didn't realise at first, when I watched it, about his entrance. So he comes into, uh, I can't remember what that song is, Fields of Gold, I think it is, and then all of a sudden it changes to Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy, and he came came into Shawn Michaels' uh, entrance music for WWE, and oh, the guy's just, um, he's so funny. Yeah, he's a lady. He is, and uh, the fact that he came into that, it just just, made me chuckle when I actually managed to catch up with it, but he picked up a first round win uh, the Simon Valili Craig Glover fight Craig Glover picks up the victory by stoppage Anthony Fowler uh, went in with a again 
a meaningless fight for, for me. Obviously, it must be an activity fight for him, but pretty meaningless in my eyes. So he wins again over the weekend. And then Hosea Burton. Now, this is something I wanted to briefly touch on with you, Hamed. Hosea Burton. Yeah. What, what's happening with Hosea Burton at the moment? Because he seems to be just put on... Uh, the depths of, of these undercards. The guy's 21 and 1. He had a life and death fight with Frank Buglione uh, about 18 months ago. And all of a sudden, he just seems to be getting stuck on these cards where he, he, he's not even. He's not even at the top of the cards anymore. He's, he's like mid to low card on these cards. And I'm thinking, when is he going to get a big fight? When is he going to be back in with the likes of Buglione or and Anthony Yard? I mean, yeah. there are the fights we've been talking about for Jose yeah. Burton. That's a great point, and the thing is, I didn't even know he was on the card. I mean, that's how bad it is, and uh, I mean, a lot of people have been criticising Anton here, and rightly so. I think the matchmaking, just just looking at Lewis Ritz and how he stepped up, and I, I don't even think Yard is really... I know he... Did he win the European belt? But I don't think the guy he fought was that good compared to the guy that thought Ritz and fought was good, but there's looking at... If you want someone like uh, Burton to fight the Yard or... The guys like um, what's his name, Callum? Is it Johnson? In, yeah, uh, who, who lost to Preserbia, uh, Preserbia, yeah. maybe down the line. Uh, you gotta start promoting him a bit better. I mean, putting him on on eight rounders and six rounders, unless there's something wrong with him, which I'm not aware of. I'm not too sure why he's not getting matched up better than he is. Because I don't think he, I don't think he needs about four or five fights uh, of these uh, after having like uh, that type of fight with Buglioni. Uh, maybe one or two would have been okay, but I think they need to get a move on and try and start promoting him better, and maybe try and match him up uh, a lot better than they have. I know, I agree, Hamid. I do, I do agree. That's why I was asking the question because. It just feels like he's just, you know, sliding under the radar massively here. This is a guy, like I said, who went live in death with Buglione and was, I think he was up on the cards in that fight, if I recall correctly, until he got stopped in the 12th on his feet. So, from going that to was such, a great fight, didn't it? It was, exactly. And from going from such a great fight like that to then fighting Journeyman on the undercards uh, of a lot of other <laughs> fighters, it just feels like... Either he's, he's personally not ready for that step back up again, and that's why, obviously, his team, including Joe Gallagher, uh, are sort yeah. of weaning him back up there again. Or, yeah. I, I honestly don't know what the explanation is. I mean, I'm quite interested to hear what, what Joe's got to say, and I've spoken to Joe a few times at shows, and I'll be interested if I get a chance to speak to him again. I'll ask him. I will genuinely ask him. He might not take too kindly you know, to it, but I, I'd like to know. I want to know what's going on. I want to know why he's not in these big fights. Yeah. You know what, the thing with is that it's the promoter as well. It's not just always the fighters or the trainers because I think with Eddie Hearn and a lot of his, uh, not just the prospects and uh, non-world champions, some of the world champions, he's a bit, um, how do I put it, a bit of chalk and cheese with the way he promotes certain fighters. I thought he did a horrible job with promoting Cal Brook. But when Brook came over from Frank Warren, I think Frank Warren made a very good point that when Brooke left um, Warren, he was the mandatory challenger for Pacquiao's WBO belt. This was in 2010. And then it took him about four years after fighting Eliminator, Eliminator, pulling out the world title fights, which was, I wouldn't blame Hearn on, but just, it was just the way he was promoted. I thought uh, Hearn did not do a good job. And uh, I think the promoters on certain things like this should take blame as well. 
You know, and it's a really good point that you bring up there because it isn't always down to trainers, managers, uh, and the fighters themselves. Sometimes if the promoters are not being able to put them out there as much as they should because they're too busy with all these other big marquee fighters that they've got in the stable, people like Jose Burton just slide under the radar. I mean, there could be a reasonable explanation for it. I don't want to keep on banging on about it for too much longer, but I just thought I'd bring it up because... Well, I just don't understand why he's not fighting any big domestic light heavyweights and, and just continuing to be on the depths of undercards. And that was another shock for me, really, because I didn't even know he was on it. So, there you go. Uh, Channel 5 and Cyclone Promotions then had a, a decent show on at the weekend as well. And we had Hamid, uh, Hamid, we had Elliot Stott down there covering that show. And he managed to interview some of the fighters in the media day. You can catch them on the YouTube channel. Easily boxing repeat. Uh, Lee McGregor fought Thomas Isomba and beat him in the 12th and final round to become the Commonwealth Bantamweight champion in just his fifth fight, which was really good. And a really good fight indeed, and I really enjoyed it. And I knew Thomas Isomba, one of Kieran Farrell's fighters, he was going to go there and give it his all. And if you've seen anything of Thomas Isomba, you know, as as a viewer, as a listener... And then you'll know he comes to fight and he's not just there to make up the numbers and he did and he gave McGregor a really good good fight and he dropped McGregor uh, in one of the rounds I can't remember which round it was but he dropped him McGregor obviously got up and continued and, and, and won it and stopped him in the 12th round and you know we become the Commonwealth champion in just his 5th fight which is a, a really good feat and he looked really good and he looks like he's another bantamweight prospect coming through the the ranks and I was really impressed with that fight and really impressed with Lee McGregor. What did you make of Lee McGregor over the weekend, Hamed? Did you manage to catch any of that? No, I did, sorry, I did not <laughs> manage to, I just managed to watch the main event because I, I don't think they showed the full card on Channel 5. I think it was on one of the other channels. But I, yeah, I, Spike. I didn't to... It was on Spike. Yeah, I, I didn't manage to catch it on the, the the whole undercard. I just managed to tune in just for two of the main events. Well, for anyone that's listening to the podcast, obviously, if you watched it and you agree, let me know at Sean Basto at ESPR or at Hamed underscores a man. Let us know what you thought about that one. But I thought it was a... A good performance from him. I thought he did well. He overcame adversity and became the Commonwealth Panterweight Champion just his fifth fight. So, Chantal Cameron was on that card. She beat Jessica Gonzalez to win the WBC Silver title, which essentially puts her on the WBC radar and rankings. Uh, She also had the IBO title, World title, which is, again, it's a lightly regarded world championship but a world championship nevertheless. And she defended that title over the weekend, and she looked impressive in doing so as well. And and she's another fighter on the female scale that doesn't really get a lot of credit or exposure because you've got the bigger marquee fighters. You know, you've got your Katie Taylors and your Nicola Adams. These are the types of fighters most people would associate with female boxing at the moment but Chantal Cameron is certainly starting to make a name for herself so she performed pretty well on Saturday night the main event then Hamed I know you managed to catch that was Michael Hunter and Martin Bacoli now going into this fight Martin Bacoli has been hyped up a lot by his trainer. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going to go with this. So, I've got... No, listen, right. I've got no bad words to say about Billy Nelson, Bacoli's trainer, uh, other than what I'm about to say about the actual fight itself. Now, before this fight, he, he, Billy's 
with all due respect to him, is is hyped Bacoli up so much. He's he's told every every man. Yeah, well, he has. Yeah, he's he's told every man and his dog and his cat and his cat's kittens about Bacoli becoming the next world champion and how he sparred Anthony Joshua and all the rest of it and. It all sounds very impressive, and he has had a very impressive start to his career. But he was going up against a guy, Michael Hunter, who had more fights, more experience, and especially give himself a good showing against Alexander Usyk last year. That, for me, was was going to be a telling factor on the night. Now, I think I thought, I think I bought into the hype just a little bit because I've seen Bacoli's fights, and he looked like a really big puncher, and he looked like a guy. Well, he is a really big puncher, but... You weren't the only one. I, I also got put into the hype. <laughs> I, again, he, obviously, we do it with a lot of fighters. You know, they look, they, they get made to look good. And Bacoli got made to look good going into this fight. Not saying he isn't, but it was quite evident in this fight that he was struggling and he was starting to gas after a few rounds. And I think the most concerning part of this fight for me was you could clearly hear Bacoli asking Billy Nelson to pull him out of the fight and Billy Nelson wouldn't pull him out of the fight. Now, that is where I changed my yeah. opinion on, on Billy Nelson. Now, as a trainer, I'm not going to disrespect him as, as a trainer because, obviously, he, he's a professional trainer. I'm not. But as a human being, when yeah. you've got a guy in there as you, that you're looking after whose life is essentially, at times, in your hands and you've got a guy literally screaming to get pull you out of the fight because he's struggling and he's getting hit with a lot of shots and he you know he's really struggling and the guy tells you no you've really got to question the relationship you've got with that trainer because if I if I was a trainer and I had a fighter in that much trouble I wouldn't have any qualms in throwing the towel in I wouldn't regardless of who they were what level they were at whether they were a champion whether they're famous whether they're not I wouldn't put that that li- that man's life on the line essentially, and that's what I felt like it was was happening there on on Saturday night. Now, eventually, the fight was stopped uh, due to an accumulation of punches, and the referee had had enough, and obviously said, "Nope, no more." And Michael Hunter picks up a what was on paper a, a shock a shock win, really. I mean, probably a shock win for a lot of the British fans because. A lot of the British fans are buying into the Bacoli hype because of Billy Nelson and the way he's promoted him on social media. But it wasn't that bad for them, for the Hunter camp. It wasn't a surprise for them because they came with the desire and the will to win and they were going to do it and they did it. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, the whole Bacoli-Billy Nelson situation. Tell me what your thoughts are on that incident and whether you think... It was the wrong thing to do, and what you would have done in that situation. I I think that was very bad. I mean, there's one thing. Uh, there's one thing for when a fighter is uh, being asked to get pulled out by the trainer. Like you remember when Anthony Crawler fought Linares? I think it was in the rematch. And yeah, uh, uh, what's his name? Joe Gallagher wanted yes. to pull him out for the twelfth round, which I thought was a bit ridiculous. I mean, for eleven rounds, he fought his heart out, got dropped, got back up. You might as well let him out for the twelfth round. He's not really seriously hurt. But no, no, exactly. when a fight when when the fighter wants to go on, that's one thing. But when the fighter is urging the trainer to pull him out, the trainer's job is to protect the fighter just as much as the referees is. But when the trainer and the fighter are having that kind of uh, conversation, I thought that was absurd. The way he 
pulled pushed him back into the ring. Is like you almost forced him. And Billy Nelson is a very lucky man. If uh, if uh, Michael Hunter wasn't a big puncher, he seriously could have got some serious stick for that. Because uh, if that was a bigger a heavyweight and a bigger puncher, because obviously we know Hunter is a really a natural cruiserweight. Even though the fight was, I think, on paper, I'd call it a 50-50 fight. But you could tell Hunter is not really that big of a puncher as a cruiserweight was. Not too bad of a puncher, I think. Wasn't the biggest, but as a heavyweight, obviously he's not really a big puncher. But Bacoli almost got seriously hurt, and uh, he did manage to get knocked out. And I thought it was a bad stoppage at the end. I think he did have one arm, but Billy Nelson is really lucky that that wasn't uh, someone in there who could really crack hard. I mean, if that was someone, I don't know, just for instance, say Wilder or someone. Like Anthony Joshua in the opposite corner, someone who could really bang, I don't know, like Dillian White or even someone on that level, uh, he seriously could have got hurt and it would have looked really bad. So I think Billy Nelson, uh, that was a very ludicrous move. You should never, ever do that. Like your job as a trainer is really uh, not to pride yourself. I think he's it turned into more about himself than the fighter. And mm, yeah. uh, that is a very, a very dangerous mentality to take into a ring. Uh, the fighter's safety should always come first. So uh, I thought that was odd. Uh, I think he overhyped him. I agree with that. The whole uh, Twitter, just the way he's been talking about him. And I, I was kind of sold on him. I don't think Bacoli is that bad of a fighter. I think he kind of threw away the fight. Uh, I don't think he showed the heart that he could have. He just he looked like he was laboring a bit too much. He is a bit a big lump. I thought it was a good fight. Uh, I thought Hunter was clearly winning the fight. I had Hunter winning the first four rounds. I think I thought Bacoli won the fifth, and it looked like to me like Bacoli was coming on strong. I thought Hunter when he got cut. The fight was going to change hands, and I thought Bacoli was close to winning that fight, but then his arm went, and then the fight just completely changed. I think Michael Hunter found a second wind, but I thought that was a really, really good fight. A good matchup on paper, and he kind of answered if Bacoli was really getting overhyped, but I think Bacoli could come again domestically. I don't think he's that bad of a heavyweight. I just think he'll have to learn from stuff like that. I agree, and I'll like to hear what other people's thoughts are on that. I know there was a lot of people there. Tagging or tweeting Mr. Nelson over the weekend, and um, I've seen quite a few with him. And I just felt you might as well shut your social media account down for a few weeks now because he's going to get a bit of a shooing for that, and rightly so, given that incident. So, I want to move away from what's happened over the past weekend and move forward to what's going on over this weekend. So Starting with this weekend, starting at the Brentwood Centre, the Frank Warren Promotions, are, that's on this weekend. We've got a few fights on that card. Uh, most notable fight, again, I talk about meaningful fights. The main meaningful fight for me on this card is Gary Corcoran versus Johnny Garton for the British welterweight title. Now, I'm not forgetting also about Zach Shelley Jr. and Umar Sadiq, which is also on that card. Uh, but the one that's probably most notable uh, to the wider audience is the Corker and Johnny Garton, British welterweight crown. So we've got that. It, it's, the card looks like, on paper, with the names that are on it, you think to yourself, wow, this is going to be uh, a really, really good card. So when you've got the likes of Anthony Yard, the returning Bradley Ski, Nathan Gorman, Lucian Reed, and Boy Jones Jr. also in action on the card. You're thinking, actually, yeah, this is going to be a really good, um, a really good card. This, but when you look at again the level of opposition they're going in against, you kind of start to think to yourself, 
it's just going to be a straightforward, clean sweep of Frank Warren fighters beating journeymen and a European journeyman and European uh, 50-50 record fighters. And that that's what, essentially, on paper, it is. It's a chance for Anthony Yard to keep active. It's a chance for Bradley Skeet to return to action. It's a chance for Nathan Gorman to stay active and chase that fight with Dubois. And the same again with Lucien Reed and Boy Jones Jr. It's just a chance for them to, 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 to be active and be on uh, a good show. But the two fights, like I've said, Corcoran and Garten and Umar Sadiq and Zach Chelly Jr., who Elliot Stott interviewed, and I'm going to try and stick that interview into the podcast if possible. If not, I'll uh, I'll stick it on somewhere <laughs> on one of the platforms. But he did manage to interview him, so it'll be good to try and get that on as well ahead of that. Now he does look like a great prospect in the super middleweight division, uh, going in against a I think it's three four and zero fighter in Sadiq. So it's a good good matchup this one, and one that I'll be looking forward to. But. I don't. I can't say it's a card that I'm excited for. I can't say I'm gonna. I'm gonna sit there on Saturday and think, right, what am I gonna watch? X Factor or Frank Warren card? <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna put the X Factor because I can't stand it. I've watched it too many times. And it's the same crap every year. So I will be watching this card, but I'm not excited about it. I'm not jumping for joy. I'm just looking forward to the the, the two fights that I've emphasised a bit more because I do think they will be good fights. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Again, I'm not saying that any of the other fights won't be good, but on paper, they don't look like they're going to be all-out wars. Wars that are going to get the casual audience engaged with it. They look like run-of-the-mill fights for me, and fights that are just going to keep all them sort of marquee Frank Warren names active on that particular card. Ahmed, what are your thoughts then on this weekend's Frank Warren cards? It's not one of the best, I'd say, on paper that he's put on, but it's a good chance to see some of his guys in action. This reminds me like of your typical matchroom, stay busy prospect cards. <laughs> but to be fair, I think um, to be fair, I think matchroom have not to been doing not too bad of a job with their prospects recently. Uh, I think some of the PT shows have been very underwhelming, and uh, I just get the sense we get a bit too many. I, I get it with um, with uh, someone like Dubois. I think he's been progressing nicely, but with um, take the top, uh, top of the bill fight off, uh, if not including that. I think I'm just getting the sense with Anthony Yard that he keeps on being matched up with these guys. And the question I have is, when is he going to step up? Because I seriously have no interest in keep watching these guys that he's fighting, um, which it don't look like any better than the ones he's been fighting before. So uh, the question, the only thing I'd say about that is the matchmaking should be better. But if it's just staying busy and they got something... Big lined up down the line, then fair enough. But it's not really a card that I know. There's a lot of names, like you just said. It's not really a card that you could look and say there's about two or three good fights. I think there's maybe one good fight on there, and that's all really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hating on on the card. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not. I'm not going out there to say I oh I hate this and I hate that. I'm not. I'm just saying, based on what the uh, the matchups are in this card. It does look like a standard run-of-the-mill opportunity for all these guys to get out there. Obviously, fans on Twitter, fans on Facebook, on Instagram, they're all screaming for the likes of Anthony Yard to get in with big fighters. They're all screaming for Nathan Gorman to fight Dubois. They're all screaming for Bradley Skeet to get uh, a, ma- a major title shot again. That's what they're all screaming for. But... Essentially, this is the chance to keep these guys active, keep them moving, keep the train moving, moving on the right tracks, and hopefully push them into fights 
that we want to see in the future. I don't, like I said, I don't think it's going to be an exciting card. I could be totally wrong, and I could be totally eating my words next week because we could see some of the best fights of the year. I'm not expecting it, but we'll see. So, I wanted to move on to the American side because next week uh, we've got some really good fights. We've got some really good fights, and we're talking about Matchroom and, and some of their run-of-the-mill shows that sometimes they put on, but this Matchroom USA show they've got on next week it actually looks pretty good to be fair we've got Tevin Farmer and James Tennyson for the IBF super featherweight title which is on the line and that's going to be a fight that I'm looking forward to I want to see whether James Tennyson is going to be able to make that step up against a guy who has managed to turn his career around in emphatic fashion that's an exciting fight on paper that that's one that really sort of gets me intrigued to see how Tennyson can do we've got the controversial vacant WBO middleweight title on the line. It was supposed to be getting Billy Joe Saunders and Demetrius Andrade on this. But instead, because of obviously what's happened last week, I'm not going to touch on it too much. Because of what's happened and the vacation of that title, we've got Demetrius Andrade uh, against Walter uh, Court on Doqua. Court on Doqua, I think you pronounce it. An unknown, undefeated fighter who is obviously been ranked high enough to be given this opportunity, but it, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, that particular fight, because I wanted to see Billy Joe Saunders, and it's something we will be touching on later on in the show about drugs, cheats, and all the rest of it, because there's a few questions that have come in for today's episode, which we'll kind of be able to touch on this subject later, but that fight's on the card... We've also got Kid Galahad and Tommy Coyle and Scott Quigg, uh, an Irish heavyweight prospect, Niall Kennedy uh, and Dania Yelusinov, also all on this card. So as a card for the DAZN streaming service and for Matchroom USA, on paper, it, it looks a, a decent card and there's a couple of fights on there that, again, like we said about the Frank Warren one, you can genuinely get up for, excited for, you know, something to look forward to. The other fights, again, you kind of think mm, they're just run-of-the-mill fights. They're just fights for guys like Galahad, Coyle and Quigg to get opportunities in America and showcase their skills to the American audience with a view to getting a big fight for them. But I've not forgotten about Katie Taylor and Cindy Serrano. IBF and WBA titles on the line in that one. So it's clever, it's clever marketing from Eddie Hearn here because he's putting all these people on he's putting the guys who are going to do well in terms of attracting the fans over you know people like Katie Taylor who's who's a worldwide star in female boxing guys like Andrade and Tevin Farmer you know guys that are well known fighters in America it gives that, that great audience but also gives the UK audience something to look out for as well it's quite clever when you think about it really because You've got guys on there that British fans might want to see fight, like Quig, Coyle, Kid Galahad, Katie Taylor, for example. And you've got you, you, it's catering to both sides of the pond, I think, with this one. But, Hamid, enough of what I'm saying about this one. What do you make of this uh, DAZN matchroom boxing card this weekend? I think DAZN, uh, Hearn has done a really good job. I'm going to give him credit with DAZN. I think with the crop of talent that was available... And considering the amount of money he had, the fact that so many fighters turned him down, I, I think he's done a really good job. I, I think so far, so good. 
could he keep this up? I think arguably yes. I think there is something probably touching a bit that's kind of shaken, shaken the world of boxing. But I don't think this is a bad card, if I'm being honest. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders was meant to fight Demetrius Andrade in the main event, so that's you can't really you can't really blame Hoon on that. That's on Billy Joe Saunders for testing positive or taking the spray, whatever. But I don't think it's that bad of a fight. The replacement we've got. I'm not too familiar with the guy who Walter Guan. I, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> who's fighting, but I don't think it's that bad of a fight because I think Dimitris Andrade, as a middleweight, if I'm being honest, is kind of he's kind of unproven, but not too bad of a matchup, I think, for a vacant belt because I, I think Andrade is a serious talent and he kind of hasn't been able to show his showcase talent. I think just to do with promotional problems of being inactive but for the rest of the card I, I, I think he's a good card I'm really looking forward to seeing Tam Farmer fight I think he's a very underrated uh, super featherweight I was very impressed with him against Billy Dib uh, when he won the title and I was also impressed in flashes against Kenichi Ogawa I still haven't managed to see the full fight I have got that saved on a USB stick which I'm planning on watching that before this fight so I could kind of get a clear indication of a prediction in mind but I think that's a good matchup. Uh, I, I have been uh, impressed with Gene Tennyson. Tennyson, how uh, how you pronounce that? I think I seen him knock out. His, was it Martin G. Ward? That was, that was a really good fight. I was impressed with him. I think this is a, probably a step up, but we could probably try and find out where he is in the grand scheme of uh, of talent. If he could win this fight, he will be a world champion. So that's uh, and then the rest of the card. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think Quig is coming off a loss and. I think Galahad, Tommy Coyle is kind of in the mix on that level. I think a British junior level. I think Galahad is just probably trying to get his, uh, get his way back in. The, I'd say pro- it's probably not too bad of a card. I think there's a couple of other fights I probably didn't touch on, but not too bad of a card. No, it's it's, it's not too bad of a card for me. I uh, I agree. And uh, but the Tommy Coyle thing you, men- you mentioned is a bit of a British journeyman, but he, um, I'm pretty sure he, from what I recall, he holds what what titles does he hold? Is it the British and Commonwealth titles or is it? I can't believe it. I can't remember. It's going to bug me now. I remember, I remember Coyle beating Sean Dodd uh, in a great fight recently, and I'm pretty sure he picked up a title like that. I can't remember. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, maybe that. <coughs> Maybe that was a bit, I think, harsh, maybe, but uh, I just got the sense he's kind of... No, I don't... I think he's a Commonwealth. Is he still the Commonwealth champion? Yeah, it was Commonwealth Championship he picked up uh, earlier on this year. I thought it was uh, a title that he picked up this year. I'm not too sure if he's vacated it, you know, to be honest. I've not not looked too far into it, but even if he has, he'll have done it for a reason of getting himself out there to an American audience, like I said. So I was just kind of like, I didn't want you to get uh, terrorised on social media again. No, no, no. no, 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 Actually, actually, I... I made a mistake. He actually is fighting someone who's a step up. So yeah, that's actually good. You corrected. So he actually vacated it to fight uh, the guy he's fighting. I'm not too familiar with him. I can't pronounce Ryan Keys Weski. I'm on Boxrec. I don't really use Boxrec too much unless I, I need to correct myself. But he's also got a fight uh, already planned after Tonko. So I'm not too sure if this is a kind of he's overlooking. So I, I'm not sure if Cole's been brought in to lose. If you get what I'm seeing, that's yeah. why I, I kind of thought... I thought it will be the opposite. Though. I thought the guy he's going to fight was going to come in to lose. So, uh, maybe this uh, fighter is a very good fighter. Because, I mean, he goes by the name Polish Prince. And 
he has got a couple of losses, bro. I don't think he's ever been stopped. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of, I think, a bit off with what he said about Tonka. I oh, know we don't need uh, we don't need another roasting on social media, do we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about so we'll, we'll mention that shortly, uh, just when we finish up on this weekend stuff. Um, World Boxing Super Series, the next instalment. We've got Emmanuel Rodriguez defending the IBF bantamweight title against Jason Maloney. We've got Junior Dorticos against Matthias Masternak on that card as well. So two good fights there for me in my eyes to, to keep an eye out for. Potentially looking at another KO victory for Dorticos, Masternak. I think he's fought Tony Bellew in the past, from what I recall. Um, that should be on paper. A half-decent fight. <coughs> Rodriguez and Maloney, I'm not too sure about. Uh, I don't know. Rodriguez obviously beat Paul Butler for the vacant IBF title, but I've not seen anything of Maloney, so I can't really make a judgment on whether or not he's going to provide any sort of test for Rodriguez. But if Rodriguez's fight with Butler is anything to go by, uh, I'm, I'm thinking he's a bit of a talent, and I'm thinking he will progress to the next round, and he's a guy that I'd like to see him with one of the other big fighters, like your Burnett's and Tete's, and obviously a new age. So that's also on. Another fight which is probably flying under the radar in the UK is uh, Ryota Murata against Robert Brandt for the WBA middleweight title, which is on the line. Now, I, I, I was completely shocked when I seen that because I thought to myself... This is completely flying under the radar. No one's like, no one's even promoted it. I've not seen no promotion on social media. And I follow a lot of the big American promoters and I would have thought we might have seen something, but it was only by looking through Boxwreck myself for this weekend that I spotted this and I thought, hang on a minute, Robert Brandt. I remember obviously Robert Brandt and his, uh, his, his, his failed world title attempts and, and obviously Ryota Murat has been proposed for Gennady Kolovkin next year. So there's one to look out for this weekend as well, Ahmed. Uh, I was aware of this fight. It's kind of been announced a while back. The thing with this fight is it has been picked up by Box Nation, so I, I wouldn't say it's gone completely under the radar, but I think in America, I think it might have. I'm not too sure if it's on ESPN or the ESPN app, but I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to be watching this fight. I'll be staying up probably for this. Uh, I think it's a good matchup, and I think the the other card uh, from the World Boxing Super Series is not too bad. It's good that we got... Uh, you know Dotikos back. Uh, I still always believe that Dotikos would have given Usyk a better fight than Gassiev. I think I think Gassiev got kind of embarrassed in that fight. I mean, he was in the final. He rightly so deserved his place, but stylistically, that was a horrible matchup for him. Uh, before the fight, I think it is a bit kind of maybe discrediting him that the fact that so many people did give him a chance and it's kind of viewed as a 50-50. But I always said after the Dotikos Gassiev fight that. Uh, I seen I seen enough in that fight that I think Dotikos' style would probably have troubled uh, Usyk because I think uh, I agree with what you said earlier on. Michael Hunter argue, give uh, Usyk his toughest fight. I thought I know he did get stopped uh, up till I think who did uh, who did Usyk, oh yeah, Usyk uh, had a very close fight and a competitive fight with Brady. But before that, I think Michael Hunter arguably gave him one of his toughest fights, if I recall. But that's good that he's back. I think Morata Brandt is a good matchup. And I think it looks like if Morata wins, he could be heading towards a big fight with Golovkin. But I'm really looking forward to watching him fight. Uh, he, he has been quite hyped up. And in Japan, he is a superstar. Well, just before we head any further then, um, we head on to the This Week in Boxing History segment. I've not had a chance to speak to you about this, but I thought this is a perfect opportunity to have a chat about it. 
Uh, what happened on social media the other week with you and uh, Martin Theobald from New Age Boxing and obviously their podcast uh, who you know shout out to them I, I, I do enjoy their podcast they, they give a lot yeah. of coverage of the uh, southern area of the UK which I may not always be able to keep up to date with because of other stuff going on but I'd seen something along the lines of was they calling you a, a, was it a matchroom lover or a matchroom hater or something like that and you what, what actually happened there? Okay, uh, this is quite funny. I haven't been very active on Twitter and social media recently, recently but with that, that was completely... Uh, I, I wasn't really even talking to anyone directly. I, I think I seen a post on Boxing Scene that Luis Ortiz said, I want to fight Dillian White. So I think I seen Dillian White replying and it's very unusual. Normally fighters, you don't see him replying to like a boxing scene posts or articles and Dylan White said we could go December 22 so I thought you know what if both these guys want to make the fight I said if this fight happens this is worth pay-per-view because I, th- I I was using the rhetoric of if Joseph Parker and uh, Dylan White were sold as a pay-per-view at least with Luis Ortiz I know he's not known to the casual fans but it shouldn't always work like that how many guys as Joshua Fort have been unknown to the casual fans so mm. it doesn't always work like that I mean Dylan White I think uh, according to, I think, some people that has become a pay-per-view fighter, I think, under Hearn and Matchroom. Now, now I think he's going to be on pay-per-view majority of the times. And if him and Dylan, Derek Chisora is a pay-per-view fight, which I strongly disagree, I don't think that's a pay-per-view fight. The last time they fought was a part of a card of, with Joshua fight in Molina. So it was a, a part of undercard. But if Luis Ortiz fight, Dilla White, in my opinion, I think you can maybe sell that as a pay-per-view. On the premises of what the pay-per-view model has come. Personally, I still wouldn't pay for it. But that's what I said. I think I got called out. Uh, I think he was saying that, why are you advocating pay-per-view? But I did reply. I said, I don't pay for pay-per-views. But I've accepted it long ago. Pay-per-views are never going away. I've talked about this so many times on other places and with other people that I've given up. Like <laughs> We're going to be having 14 pay-per-views by the end of this year. I think I put out yesterday that Matchroom have put on 10 pay-per-views. I think I was incorrect. They'll, they'll have put on about 6 or 7, which is a lot of pay-per-views in one year. But in the UK totality, it'll be about 14 pay-per-views. I, I, you can't argue with the whole pay-per-view. It's, it's never going to go away now, in well, it's it's funny you should say that because we'll be talking about the uh, obviously the zone deal uh, in about about ten minutes or so, and we've gone through some other bits and bats because that's obviously been uh, a big talking point for for this week as well in the news and gossip section. But you know, I just spotted it and I thought, oh, Paul Hamed, he just seems to be getting roasted off of of <laughs> random people. They just seem to be throwing the ten pence in, and I say it all the time on Twitter. And this is my comment about about. Twitter in general and social media uh, opinions on Twitter are like assholes. Everybody has got one, yes, and, yes. and that is my that is my God's honest truth about that. Everybody's got an opinion, whether it's right, whether you agree with it, whether you don't agree with it. People have got the right to have an opinion and, and an expression about how they feel about certain things. It was just interesting to see, you know, how quickly some people can kind of jump on the bandwagon yeah. because obviously Martin's built himself a reputation down south and the podcast that he did, they do, you know, he does really well and fair play oh, to them. Yeah, exactly. And obviously because a lot of people know him, they, they kind of jump on jump on his bandwagon like they are all, all of a sudden they are the mystic meg of boxing and they know everything about it. 
and sometimes it's just a case of people see something and they just want to get involved in it for, for the sake of it which is yeah uh, can be a bit ridiculous at times but no i just i just wanted to check I, in with you yeah. i wanted to just see i took you with a grain of salt i was not completely not uh, offended one bit but but this is what i will say there was 21 likes i received from that so what I said was obviously what I said was a lot of people agreed with what I said because if I said something that no one agreed with and he called me out then there would have been some sort of evidence substantial evidence behind it but I got a lot of response a lot of people are saying um, they agreed with me I mean there was a reply straight away someone goes no it's not I, I, I never ever said it's worthy of pay-per-view in terms of the actual pay-per-view model but what pay-per-view has become in ideal world, what I mean is is not really worthy. I, I've never said that, but w- what the market has become—that's all I was trying to say—is is become a worthy in that market. But I mean, there was a lot of people that agreed with me. But like you said, uh, I thought that what he's what he did was kind of—I uh, I wouldn't say unprofessional because he's not—they're not really. They're not really professional. I don't think they're writers or anything. They're professional writers. I think they cover small old shows, but I, I thought it was a bit arrogant of what he did, like uh, calling out people over just opinion like that and try, and getting, you know, when you got other people just uh, being sheeps along and just re- repeating what you're saying. I thought that was a bit arrogant, but I... I I really don't care because uh, I'm normally I'm normally uh, going back and forth with other people, but it was quite interesting. it's just Twitter. It's just Twitter. It's just Twitter. That's all I can say. It is Twitter. People will do it. There's been there's been loads of stuff going on recently on Twitter, and everyone gets involved. <laughs> anyway, let's let's just stop that there because I want to move on and I want to go to this week in boxing history. Down goes Frazier. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! So, this week in boxing history, uh, I've selected four events that have happened uh, in this particular week and I'll go through them with you then. So, the first one was on the 16th of October 1987, Mike Tyson KOs Tyrell Biggs to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. And on the 18th of October 1991, one of the most brutal knockouts you will ever see. Uh, always probably on YouTube highlight reels. It's Ray Mercer knocking out Tommy Morrison in round number five. One of the most brutal KOs I've ever seen. And I watched it again today. And I just look at the referee and I'm thinking, oh my word, why did that referee not stop that fight after the, th- the first and second big punch was landed? Not after he let him have a few more open shots on Tommy Morrison. Poor guy, bless his soul. Uh, another one, good one here for you, Hamid. 18th October 2008, Bernard the Executioner Hopkins beats Kelly Pavlik over 12 rounds in Atlantic City in what was a non-title fight, but yeah. it was a scalp of Kelly Pavlik against an older man in Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins I, w- wasn't expected yes. to win that one. I recall this very, very fondly because I was actually 
this was on the twilight of when I was really getting into boxing. Probably a couple of years before, I think it was about one or two years, I was actually started watching all these fights. But I remember staying up for this night, this fight as well. I think it was on Satanta. Very good matchup, I thought, on paper. I thought it was probably one of Hopkins's best wins. Arguably, probably was his best win. Uh, at the age of 43, the way he just rewinded the clock, and I'll never forget in the 11th or 12th round when he, when he, Busted up, uh, and he busted up, uh, uh, Pavlik, and he just uh, he didn't like a uh, showboat when Tommy Hearns used to do. It. And I thought it was very, very interesting, uh, the fact that so many people never gave him a chance. I kind of understood why they didn't because I think Pavlik, I remember the fight also when Pavlik burst on the scene. I, I remember seeing up for that when he knocked out Taylor. That was very impressive, but I think it's because of that that so many people wrote off Hopkins. But Stalls, that night was the night that I truly remember that the word Stalls make fights. I never ever uh, heard so many like people saying that. I remember when Jim Lampley kept saying it. Hopkins uh, beat uh, lost to Taylor twice and Pavlik beat Taylor twice, but Hopkins beat Pavlik. And that just goes to show Stalls make fights. But that was a great fight. Uh, it was a shame that we never got to see Pavlik and Kalzagi fight. I think that was a fight that we missed out on, but definitely uh, that was a very great matchup on paper, and I think it was one of Hopkins' best performances. Mm, yeah, one of many of his uh, great performances. Uh, the final one that I've got on the list is a pretty decent one, actually, one that I was uh, looking at today and I was thinking, wow, really? Anyway, 19th of October, 1962, the birth of Ivanda, the real deal, Holyfield. Which would make him, what, 56 tomorrow? It's the 9th of October tomorrow. 56 that would make him. And the guy who was undisputed cruiserweight champion, the guy who was also the winner of world heavyweight titles, the guy who beat Mike Tyson twice and got his ear bit off in the process. It was the guy achieved so much in his career uh, and a guy that, you know, potentially might have never achieved as much as he did because he had a hole in his heart. Uh, I don't know if that hole in the heart is still there or whether he had that rectified, I can't remember. But I remember that being a big talking point about his fights with Riddick Bowe and the three great fights he had with Riddick Bowe. You know, there are some fights to, to look at over Vander Holyfield, George Foreman, Mike Tyson. You know, there's some fantastic fights over the years he's been involved in and uh, he's turning 50, 56 years old tomorrow. So, yeah, that concludes our week in boxing history. So, two more segments to go, and the first one is the one that creates a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of talking points on this podcast, and it's the news and gossip section. Yes, news and gossip. Let's talk about what's been going on, what's been announced, uh, any shock deals that have been going on this week. So, the first one to touch on, and something that we will touch on in more depth in the Q&A section, is the fact that Canelo has now signed, and he's now essentially the poster boy and the face of DAZN, with a five-year, 11-fight deal worth $365 million, or £278 million. Massive deal for Canelo, that. Something that, like I said, I want to touch on in the Q&A segment because we've got a couple of questions from some of the listeners about that. So I won't dwell too much on that at this moment. I'll move on to another uh, strange announcement for me this week was Manny Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner for January. I was... um, 
I was a bit confused when I seen it because I thought, is this really actually happening? Are we seeing this fight? I, I thought Manny Pacquiao, you know, might have might have gone into some bigger fight than this and <laughs> a few people on social media saying um, Manny Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner I'm here can on Suicide Watch <laughs> because he just doesn't seem to be getting the big fights he wants so he looks like he hasn't got a, chan- a chance I, 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 it looks like he's going to have to fight Brook now even though Brook's seemingly his second choice but yeah Manny Pacquiao Adrian Broner I didn't really see that coming to be honest I didn't think that's the type of fight Manny Pacquiao wanted at this stage of his career because I don't think Adrian Broner has done anything majorly of note which would justify a, a huge fight against Manny Pacquiao, but he clearly has. So, what do you make of this one? I don't. Sorry, I don't think uh, it's that bad of a match in terms of the Pacquiao. Where Pacquiao is, I think Pacquiao is kind of people feel on the slide. I I still think that word is kind of overemphasized. I still think Pacquiao at this stage of career, fifty percent of his best probably beats every welterweight in the division, bar one or two, which is probably Crawford and Spence and. Maybe there might be one more guy in there. Maybe like a Sean Porter or Keith Thurman. I'm not too sure with Keith Thurman now, but I think the actual fight is not too bad. I think Broner and Pacquiao would have been a good, probably a better matchup before. Uh, before I think Pacquiao lost to Horn. I think from there that fight on, it, it kind of looked like he declined even more, and he's gone older. So I think. Uh, I think Broner, if he wins, I'm not too sure if he'll get the credit he deserves. But nonetheless, I mean, if he beats him, he'll be a scalp on it. It's an interesting move. I think it more clamours towards, for me, it looks like Pacquiao to get in a rematch with Mayweather. And I think whether or not that fight happens, I'm not too really interested in first. I'm still interested in Pacquiao, watching him fight, whoever he fights, because he's still an active fighter and he's still got a world title, even though I think it's kind of a secondary title. With Keith Thurman out... I kind of view him now as the main WBA champion, so I still in I'm still interested in watching him fight, and I, I still think at this stage of his career, he'd probably be too much for Broner, but I think it's an interesting fight. Other one that's come out this week, which is uh, another crossover potential fight with Khabib. Uh, I can't pronounce his surname. Nur I can't pronounce it. <laughs> well, let's just refer to him as what a lot of people is, is Khabib or Habib. A challenge Floyd Mayweather to a boxing match. Mayweather's accepted it. He's, well, these crossover <laughs> these crossover fights uh, becoming seem to be more and more socially acceptable now. And this is another one. I don't think Khabib is the same level sort of striker as what McGregor is. Yeah, obviously, just to touch on it, Obviously, he beat McGregor last weekend by advice of mission in the MMA fight in UFC and all yeah. the controversy that surrounded the aftermath of it. But it, I didn't. He didn't come across as as, as, a, as a great striker. Not a striker enough to go in there with somebody like Floyd Mayweather. Anyway, with McGregor, obviously he was no. He's been known as a striker, and he's got these long levers, and you expected something from him, and that's why people bought into the hype. But with Khabib, I don't understand it. I don't understand why he's doing it. Is it just because he wants to make a load of money? Because he's having his purse held from him by the UFC? I don't know. What do you make of it? I think this is a cash grab. And McGregor Mayweather did. Um... 
I think Miriam McGregor was a bit of a... It was a cash grab as well. Not a bit of a, it was. But McGregor did have some sort of experience in boxing. I think he had an amateur background in boxing. And uh, oh, I, I actually have been in uh, been a fan of UFC. Not as much as I was back in about 2009 or 10. But I did watch the fight between McGregor and Habib. And I'm trying to get back into it. I think McGregor is a great, uh, great uh, icon for UFC. And I've kind of become a really big fan. But he, you could tell I was watching the fight. He seemed like the guy who's more of a boxer who who kind of uses his uh, who uses his striking and his uh, punching in the octagon uh, habib came across as a wrestler and i think he is clearly um, uh, um, a wrestler like that's his main attribute and he was beating up mcgregor on the ground he's not going to be able to uh, take mayweather on the ground and punch him repeatedly so uh, this fight makes zero sense uh, is a cash grab easy a couple of hundred million for mayweather but not to show how many people are buying to it but i think there are a lot of people there are a lot of suckers that are probably buying to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hype might might be the most exciting thing of it. I think maybe there'll be a back and forth because Habib does look like a, he's uh, looks like a bit of a loose cannon. I think if you touch him up the wrong way, he he does he look like flip and he switches. He has a switch that he could just switch on and goes a bit crazy. But it's not really something that I think uh, hardcore boxer fans will be interested. I mean, maybe that's forty-one. He should really thinking about retirement. Uh, the McGregor thing, I think I kind of gave him a pass because I think it was a one-off. And it was kind of, there was a question mark over there. Can McGregor do something? Because McGregor was an active fighter and we never seen that. But I think once is enough. We don't need to see Mayweather fighting UFC fighters in a boxing ring. Unless, <laughs> no. Mayweather, uh, unless Mayweather goes in the octagon, which will be, I think, suicidal for Mayweather. I, I, don't, I don't see any interest in this. I think that might be a bit entertaining <laughs> for the wrong reasons. But yeah, I have zero interest. No, me neither. So I want to move on. Uh, six years ago, we got one of the most infamous press conference brawls you've ever seen in your life when Derek Chisora and David Hay exchanged full on blows, bare knuckle blows, after Derek Chisora's loss to Vitaly Klitschko. And what was most notably remembered for, he glassed me! He glassed me! That was, um, that was quite an eventful evening. But six years later, Derek Chisora signs with David Hay as his new manager. You never thought you'd see that happen. It's happened. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked a little bit because I didn't think these guys would ever be able to work together because they're two different people. But clearly, with David Hay dipping his toes in the promotional waters and seemingly starting to get a little bit of success and with his name attached to it, Obviously, Derek Chisora, even though he is still technically promoted by Matchroom, I believe, he is got David Hayes, his manager, with his interest. So it's it's quite a weird turn of events because it's, is, is it Chisora signing with Hay to maybe get a big paid fight with Joe Joyce? Or is it Chisora signing with Hay because he feels he may get some bigger fight I don't I honestly don't know what the logic is behind this this deal with David Hay and having him as the manager but it's just a weird piece of news to come out and of two <laughs> guys that seemingly hated each other and obviously we've seen it on uh, Chisora's fight earlier on this year or Joe Joyce's fight earlier on this year uh, when Chisora was there and he was arguing with Hay he just didn't think there was still no love loss between them but 
clearly they've had some conversations and looking at all the smiles in the pitches, it looks like they're working together to get the best out of uh, each other by the looks of it. What do you make of that, Ahmed? I think this is very unusual. I, I was very surprised. I think I watched the Sky Sports News like a couple of hours after it came out. I think it was on YouTube, and I, I, I thought I was, I thought I was like, I was, I thought this was like surreal. Like I, I can't believe actually Chizora like <laughs> after what happened is actually going to be managed by him. But I mean, weird, just as weird stuff have happened in boxing. The only thing I took away from me that are they trying to get is Chidora trying to get some sort of fight with Anthony Joshua because I think he might be he has promoted uh, shows and events so maybe that might give him a bit some sort of pulling power in negotiations if they're trying to get a fight to Joshua but at the same time he's still going to be promoted Chidora by Matchroom and Hint so it's a bit bizarre I think uh, I think he might help him out in some some of these fights because I think Chizora Zoro was saying he's trying to get himself into good shape and he said he will be able to get him into better shape. Maybe that might be uh, a factor in there, but at this stage of Chizora's career, I'm, I'm not too sure if it will actually make that much of a difference. Uh, the thing I uh, took away from it, Chizora is looking like Chizora is after a really big fight uh, and he's trying to make use of that. So maybe there is some positives that Chizora might be able to get something out of this uh, uh the, this team is going to be forming with Hay, so there might be there might be like uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, and there might be some sort of big prize uh, for him. Maybe a big uh, money fight with either Anthony Joshua or maybe a rematch with Dylan White. Did you um, did you manage to see that picture David Chisora tweeted out a couple of days ago with him sat? on the toilet in a mirror in a mirrored bathroom with an emoji covering his penis and it was just ridiculous and then what made me laugh even more was i didn't notice this at first but someone in in, in the comments on facebook decided to zoom in on a reflection uh, of him sat on the toilet where you could clearly see his uh, meat and two veg dipping into the toilet i just thought this is ridiculous what, what a guy what what is the guy on Dillian White, Dillian White posted it on his Instagram, I think, story or something. Dillian White is funny. Chisora, I don't know what. That was weird and a bit crazy. Chisora is very unusual. He's very unpredictable. I, I, it won't surprise me that if Chisora and Hay get into some sort of scuffle. And that's the only thing I'm kind of surprised. Uh, hey, the fact that he is willing to go near him again after what happened. But I think the Hay said the beef kind of settled uh, or they've kind of dusted it. I, I, I was kind of disappointed when... Uh, you said it was six years to the day that he beat Chisora, that he did come back. And I thought if he was going to come back, uh, just looking back at that fight, he should have come back only for Anthony Joshua. Like, uh, he kind of, I wouldn't say ruined the legacy, but ending on two defeats to Bellu, it does kind of leave the bad stain. But if Bellu goes on to beat Usyk, maybe... It looks better. Maybe, yeah, maybe it looked better. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Uh, a couple of other bits of news then to talk about. Um... Well, I put on the list for Gennady Golovkin's uh, promoter talking about the fight with Murata. We've already talked about that. I think that's potentially going to happen. It looks like that's where they're going down with that one. Uh, someone we've not really heard a lot about recently is uh, Guillermo Rigondo, now signed with Al Heyman and intends to stage a comeback fight before the end of the year. So I don't think we've seen Rigondo back since he got beat off Lomachenko 
last December. I don't think we've I don't think we've seen him since then, have we? I don't recall him being in a fight this year actually since that uh, that fight against Lomachenko last year. So it's I, I don't know what, what what is he now 36, 37? I don't know. What, what? 38, I think. Oh, there you go. What 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 has he Mark got left? Older. What has he got left? Sent- yeah, what was that? As I said, what, what has he got left? <laughs> uh, I still think he's a very talented fighter. I just think Lomachenko is on a different level. and there, there was clearly a bit of size played a part. I still don't think the size was the main factor because Lomachenko himself was an ex-super uh, featherweight. But uh, nonetheless, they, they were both different weight classes. and uh, It was more of a fantasy matchup. But we've seen this happen a lot recently and in the past. Uh, I think with Brook fighting Golovkin, it, it tends to happen quite a lot. But at this stage of his career, he's been way too inactive, I think, Rigondo. I still think he's a good fighter, but I wonder what they, what, they, what is there to offer him. If he's going to go back down to super bantamweight, then it, it was kind of unusual. I thought he might be thinking of retirement, because the fact that we haven't heard of him, like you said, for a long time. Well, the other one is Chris Eubank versus James Gale proposed for the 8th of December. I believe it's a signed, sealed and delivered fight, that one now, and I think there was talk of this uh, not long ago, and uh, I- I'm happy, to be honest. I'm happy that there's a, a fight's been made uh, between the two. Uh, Eubanks moving up again, by the looks of it, to super middleweight to fight DeGale, and it's a meaningful fight, so to speak, for the pair of them. I mean, a crossroads fight, probably, I'd say it, for me it is, crossroads. Um, I'm surprised, but... I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm overly excited about the the announcement. Uh, I just think it's it's good that they're actually getting a a good fight signed between them, and they're not fighting different fighters or that, and not going to be meaningful for them. This is a meaningful fight in my eyes. Obviously, Eubank is still vying to be great, and James Gale is obviously been a world champion, vacated the title, and seemingly waiting for a big fight to come his way and now it looks like he's got one so happy with the announcement but I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it at the moment maybe I will be nearer the time when there's more beef going into it when there's press conferences it, going on is it official though? I haven't seen any official announcement. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's it's un- it's officially unofficial, unofficial, official or something like that. I can't think. It, it, it's pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered. He's just awaiting an official press conference to confirm the fight. But a yeah. lot of reliable sources on social media, a lot of reliable source outlets are reporting that this fight has been signed for the eighth of December. I, I just want to get your quick take on it, then, Hamid, before we go to our final segment. Do you think this is? Uh, a meaningful fight and also it was it's being proposed that it's going to be an ITV box office as well I think the actual fight they could probably sell it as a pay-per-view because uh, I thought I didn't make a point uh, recently with the whole when I was talking about pay-per-view with I think it was Martin that I did say uh, Uban Cruz was one of the few pay-per-views this year that I think was was a pay-per-view and that actually was worthy pay-per-view along with, I think, Anthony Joshua, his fight, because he's become a pay-per-view fighter. Him and Parker, I think, clearly was a pay-per-view on paper. But I think uh, the actual fight is a pay-per-view fight, I'd probably say. In this market, definitely. I still think it's a big fight. I mean, it's one of the biggest fights at the moment. I think the only bigger fight maybe for you to kill might be Gross, but I mean, they have fought before, so I'm not too sure. And Gross has just been knocked out. I think... 
I think the thing that takes a bit of shine off is that Gil vacated his belt. I know if he did uh, keep his belt and defend against those category, he probably would have lost it and probably would have uh, might have got stopped against those category. So he would have been minus the belt and then the fight would not have had much as much leverage on it. I think he is coming off a win over Truax, even though that was a close fight. But it's still a big fight. Uh, the only thing is that both guys have kind of, I think, had one win after a loss. But, I mean, we've seen this before. I think Kay and Chizora had a big fight and they were both coming off losses. I know that was a bit different, but it, it seems like there is some sort of personal beef. Uh, I actually yeah. like the fight. I, I want to see that fight. I think it's a good fight. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not overexcited about it at the moment. If they stack it with a decent undercard, then pay-per-view worthy-wise... I, I can I can agree, but if they literally just give it this fight as a as a pay per view fight only, with no substantial like, undercard or, or at least one other good fight on the undercard, then then that's where I have an issue with pay per views because if you're just going to put literally one fight on where there's no title on the line and both of them really are not coming off the back of anything big, that's where I have a bit of an issue with it. If it does become pay per view. If none of that happens, if we don't get a decent undercard or at least one other decent fight on the undercard, we'll see what happens. We've got to wait for an official announcement yet, but various sources reporting that this is the case and it's happening. And there's personal beef, which always sells, uh, always sells to the wider audience when it looks like two fighters really hate each other. Uh, when sometimes they're the best of friends behind scenes, but we'll see. I'm I'm, I'm saying that with sort of scepticism a little bit at the moment, but. We'll, we'll see what happens near at a time. Uh, anyway, Hamid, let's get to the final segment of the show. Um, it's a new segment. It's something that we obviously I wanted to introduce to the to the podcast uh, before, but it's about making sure that we get the right level of feedback and questions for it. And this is our Q and A segment. So we put a little tweet out today on social media and on Facebook um, about having. Q&A segment on the show and having people ask questions and what they want to hear from us and I've got a great response back I'm really happy with that and, and this is where we get to talk a lot about some of the notable things on people's minds and the first person uh, that we've got a question from is a previous guest on the show Simon Mann so his question Hamed was with them signing Canelo this week, do you think DAZN will be successful? So I think I'll I'll answer this one first, Hamid, then I'll let you uh, give your thoughts on it. So I think DAZN on paper will be successful. And the reason I think that is not just because of the, the, the type of fights that they're putting on. If you strip everything back, you think about, from, from an American perspective, they're paying something between 60 to 80 dollars per big fight and yet we pay what 15 to 20 pounds per fight this deal uh with the zone is i think i can't remember what it is in dollars is it 10 to 15 dollars per month it works at about 10 pound a month uk money uh don't quote me on them figures because i don't think they're 100 percent correct but it's not a lot of money basically for a streaming service like you get online like your things like netflix where you pay so much a month to get all access to tv shows and movies this is to get access to uh plenty of fight nights now they've proposed a hell of a lot of fight nights over the course of a year now if all these big fight nights are covered under that small fee per month then 
it will become successful because people will then be more inclined to buy it and have it as a monthly subscription because they know they're going to get more value for money. So if you've got a month where you've got three or four big fights on it and it's all covered but under the zone network you, you quits in it pays for itself but then also in the same sense if you get a month where there's only one fight on i suppose it still pays for itself depending on the level of the fight so do i think it's going to be successful simon yeah i do and if they continue to be able to get big fighters on the network like we're going to be talking about uh with canelo alvarez's deal then yeah, definitely, I think it will be be a success and it could eventually take over as uh, the leading streaming service for boxing in the future and I think the way they've set everything up to go, it, it could be a huge success. There's always a risk that these things could flop but the way they're going, the, 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 the sort of fighters they're getting on board, I don't think it's going to be anything other than a success. Whether it is a sustained long-term success it remains to be seen, but definitely for a short term, maybe the next 12 to 18 months, two years, definitely successful. What do you think, Ahmed? What's your thoughts on that question? A great question. I think uh, <laughs> it's definitely going to be successful. I think it's probably with signing Canelo, it's probably exceed expectation now because uh, what I took away from it, this has probably been one of the biggest announcements in boxing. In terms of money deals or big deals, outside Joshua in the UK and America, if I'm talking, since Mayweather signed, I think, was it a 250, I can't remember, 250 million deals over five fights with Showtime, I think, if I'm, if I'm, if I recall that correctly, but is is not got that type of hype since then, and that, that was a while back. Canelo is the biggest, I think, name in boxing since Mayweather, now that Mayweather's gone, and... I don't see how you could go wrong in America before Canelo's all his fights were on pay-per-view. I know Rocky Fielding is not everyone's cup of tea in America. I get it. I think that's just a state busy fight. He's not going to be fighting Rocky Fielding uh, every year. He, he will be fighting the likes of Danny Jacobs, the likes of uh, uh, possibly uh, Jamal Charlo. I think I think him and Golovkin have probably got a uh, fight to settle who's the number one mandatory for the WBC. Maybe there's a fight with Bill Joe Saunders down the line. Maybe Demetrius Andrade. A lot of these guys are now on the zone because Jacobs, if he wins a fight with Derechenko, he will be, uh, as he's promoted by Hearn, on the zone. I think with HBO going out, that's the logical move. And with already Andrade there, I think with Billy Joe Saunders losing the belt, so the majority of the belts, it looks like uh, all on the zone and uh, Canelo will have to fight uh, good fighters and he, he will, so I don't see how this could go wrong. If you're only going to pay $10 a month and you get the two biggest stars, why complete? I mean, imagine in football, uh, I don't know, say for instance, that all, say, all the two biggest teams in football, say for instance, Manchester United, the Real Madrid, you had an app that was going to show all their matches and there's only for, say, about 10 or 12 bucks uh, a month. I don't see why you'd complain rather than we we got to pay at the moment to watch, say, a Joshua fight. It's about 20 pounds, uh, yeah. about 40, $40 for each fight. And I I think Canelo, uh, when he was fighting on pay-per-view, like you said, it was about $80. So yeah. if you get a fight between Danny Jacobs and Canelo, which would have been on pay-per-view for $10, I don't see how you could complain. I mean, and this is not just... Uh, 
not just uh, like a channel is actually app where you could rewatch stuff rewind stuff you could store so you'll have everything stored on it I, I don't see why americans have been complaining so much about it i think it's great and the transfer question yeah i think it'll be successful probably be more, more successful than people have in, envisaged Sticking on the subject of DAZN, uh, Elliot Stott asks, how much has your interest in the DAZN card this weekend changed after the Saunders situation? So I think I've kind of covered that in, in some degree. So this weekend we talked about what's on that card and the farmer Tennyson fight and the Andrade uh, and the replacement, whose name I can't pronounce, fight. And then we've got likes of Coyle, Quig, Galahad, as I said earlier, now Kennedy, Danier, you're loose enough on that card, Katie Taylor. It, it, it's actually still a good card on paper. Yes, I would have preferred to have seen Andrade and Saunders. That would have been uh, a real big selling point, essentially, for people of a, a more casual audience. You know, that would have been a big one for them. But it's still got a lot of well-known names on there. From a British perspective, it's got well-known names. And from an American perspective, it's got well-known names. So I don't think the interest has changed that much because I still want to catch some of the the fights on the card. I don't... It was it was definitely on par as the the, the the biggest fight on the card. But when you've got these other fights on the card and you've still got a middleweight title fight happening, it, you're still going to want to watch it as far as I'm concerned. So no, Elliot, it's not really changed my interest on this one. I'm still going to uh, watch it with, with interest. Ahmed, what about you? Has it changed your interest in this card, the fact that Billy Joe was not on it? Briefly, yeah, disappointed, obviously, because I think the week after Danny Jacobs will be fighting on HBO. I think it's one of the last cards on HBO. And this would have been good to have two legitimately very good top uh, world middleweight title fights. You would have had Derichenko and Jacobs, and you would have had Andrade and Bill Saunders. So, disappointing in not the card as a whole. I think, uh, like you said, uh, if you stack up a card, then, I mean, it's not too bad, like... Uh, for people watching it, and I, I am a subscriber of Sky Sports, so I will be watching it. I think it is not too bad of a card, but for the main event, yeah, I am kind of disappointed. But Billy Joe Saunders was in the wrong, and as a as a person who advocates uh, consistency, I think it's good that he has been removed from it. Because I mean, you can't be cheating or bending the rules, or there needs to be an investigation into that whole situation. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm too mad at the situation, but kind of, yeah, kind of disappointed. So that leads me on nicely to the next question, which again is uh, based on uh, the deal Canelo's just made with DAZN. So it's long-time listener Paul Cuff has asked, what do you make of the Canelo deal? Is it right that a man who's been found guilty of failing two drug tests gets 290 million quid for 11 fights? This is a very good question and a very interesting subject. And I did briefly reply to Paul when he asked this question. It's a can of worms. Um, where do I start with it? Right. So Canelo is probably the biggest draw in boxing aside from Anthony Joshua at the moment. Worldwide, Canelo is probably the biggest draw in boxing at the moment. I've said it before. I don't agree with the fact that he failed drugs test. Regardless of what it was failed for, he failed the drugs test. But boxing unfortunately, is more of a business than it is a sport these days. And because of that fact, it means that these types of deals are allowed to happen. Whether it's right or wrong in people's eyes, it's going to happen because he's a massive draw. 
it's not right that he's he's been able to get away with it and be able to earn that much money for fighting that many times on it. But with it being a business, what else are you supposed to do? The, 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 the money makes the world go around, as they say. And this is another case of it, really. You know, he's had a slap on the wrist, which... I would have, I would have said he should have had more, but because he's such a big draw and he brings that much money, I bet there's a lot of sway behind the scenes from certain individuals that have been able to make this happen. I mean, there's the the, the power that people probably have. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if we go all Illuminati on this situation because <laughs> it's true though. Because with it being such, with it being such a big draw and boxing being such a big business, there's a lot of money to be made from a Canelo fight in Vegas on a weekend isn't there that's what you've got to think about how much money would it make in a weekend so yeah he's going to get 290 million for 11 fights over 5 years but how much money are they going to make for every fight if it's staged in somewhere as big as Las Vegas you get all your subscriptions you get your increase in subscriptions on the DAZN network for casual people who want to say watch a big Canelo fight even if it's only just for that one month they have it for they're still paying money to watch it and that money is what makes a lot of things tick. It makes a lot of businesses tick. It, it lines a lot of people's pockets. And that is essentially why it's happened. And that is why it's going to go ahead. And that's why there's nothing nobody can do about it. And Paul, whilst I don't agree with the situation from a principal standpoint, I can't really argue that with it being such a big business that... If they, if they take away the biggest draw in the business, a lot of people are going to be left very unhappy and out of pocket. And there's a lot of people that have probably made a lot of investments, and that's probably why this has happened. So I, I totally agree with you and what you're saying, Paul, about the drug tests. Um, but there's unfortunately, boxing is business. Hamed, what do you think about this question? So, what was the full question? I can't see it on social media. Uh, Paul asked, what do you make of the Canelo deal? Uh, is it right that a man who's been found guilty of two drugs tests gets 290 million quid for them 11 fights? Um, okay, first part. I have talked about this a lot of times. Um, this slightly different situation with Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, Canelo did have a story behind why he tested positive. I mean, some people have not bought into it, but he did say his meat was contaminated. And there is actually evidence that that has happened in the past with other athletes and other fighters. Uh, So uh, the whole thing is, I can't really prove if he tended to cheat. I mean, you could either buy it or not, but there's not any clear evidence. So no one will actually know. It's probably apart from himself if he did. Uh, So there's that, but... This is nothing new. I mean, Justin Gatlin won a world uh, hundred meter. Uh, what was it? Hundred meter gold medal. Yeah, and he was a very controversial character and someone who follows athletics and boxing. I think two of the probably most controversial and corrupt sports. If I'm even though they're one of my two favorite sports, uh, they, these kind of things have tended to happen, and sport goes on. I mean, this will come down to stuff like commissions. If uh, if the if the ban lengths are not long enough, then I mean you can't blame Canelo. He, he's just a fighter. He's not a he's not a like a preacher or anything like that. Or uh, or the fans even they they need to start uh, looking more into maybe the commissions and other people like that. So there's that. But uh, 
I think it's a good deal. Maybe a bit of a tarnished reputation on the fact that Hyun uh, has spoken about drug cheats in the past. The fact that he signed him. No, I mean the fact that he signed with DAZN, but it's part of a network that Hyun's working for. But I don't think he signed with Hyun. So I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't give him too much stick over that. I don't think he's got anything to do with it. Just he signed with his own. But the back to the question, uh, Canelo is the biggest athlete. I mean, just the drug, uh, just the whole drug scandal is not gonna affect how big of a how big of a superstar he is. He has got a big loyal following. Whether or not he was cheating before, or after, I don't think it's gonna make a difference to his fans and some of the uh, some of the people that follow him or some of the fans just just, just like watching him fight. Uh, I, I think that's a really good question and I think is uh, debatable. If you ask two different people, you'll probably get two different answers. Yeah, I agree. So, we've got a, f- a couple more questions to, to run through before we finish up today. Um, obviously, someone you know very well, Cameron Gillen, uh, I believe he hosts his own podcast and he writes for Boxing Monthly, has got three questions. So, let's try and run through these ones uh, as quick as we can, pretty quick-fire questions. He's asked, first of all, what three fights would the panel like to see made in 2019? So, for me, Mikey Garcia and um, Lomachenko. Lomachenko. Yep, Mikey Garcia Lomachenko would be one. Uh, Anthony Joshua Deontay Wilder would be two as much as as boring as people say that is to talk about it's still a fight I'd like to see and then fight number three oh I'm just trying to think who else would want to see uh, in 2019 get it on off the top of my head uh, I would probably like to see Finally, Kel Brook and Amir can get it on. I know I'm probably copying out here, Cameron, when I say these three fights, but these are just three marquee fights that I'd want to see that I've been wanting to see for a while, and I think these would be the fights I'd want to get uh, want to get made for 2019. Ahmed, would you agree, or would you have any other fights you'd want to see there? Uh, I'll, I'll try and give three different fights. Uh, Joshua Wilder is kind of I've kind of lost interest. So let's see. I'll say I'll leave that one actually. I was gonna say Joshua Fury, but I think uh, I think I'll wait until whoever wins that fight between Wilder and Joshua before I make a, a thought on that. But I was gonna say I'd like to see the fight between maybe Dmitry Bivol and Arta Butubiev. I think that is probably one of the best fights in the light heavy division, and there's two big punches, two world champions. Another fight I'd really like to see is Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. That's the best fight, I think. Right now in boxing, two guys are evenly matched in a weight class. I don't think there's much size difference. Even though Lomachenko and Mikey Garcia might be one of the best fights, I still think Mikey Garcia is much bigger than Lomachenko. I, I don't think Lomachenko is even a lightweight. I, I think he's a super featherweight. And he's just really blown himself up uh, because he's so good and such a good fighter. But... I think Spence Crawford is probably the best matchup in boxing. Joshua Wilder is probably the one I want to see, but I think that's on everyone's mind. I think that boat is sailed, and we're going to get Wilder and Fury. So uh, I don't mind if Wilder and Fury have a rematch. That's the big big fight in the every division that I'm looking forward to, and that's already confirmed. But the third one would probably be Leo Santa Cruz and Gary Russell. I'm not too sure if that's going to be made next, but they're taking a really long time. But I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think that's a really good fight, and it will probably determine who the best... Uh, 
is it featherweight or super featherweight? I do get mixed. Featherweight is so I think that'll be a fight that I really like. Mm, good, yeah, it's good to get a difference of opinion and three separate fights to talk about there. Uh, another question he's asked is if you could pick one fighter to become world champion next year who already hasn't been one, who would it be and why? So that's a really good question there, Cameron, uh, about who would want to see as a champion next year who hasn't already been a champion. There's probably a few people you could probably talk about who you feel should be champions next year. But I think... Depending on how the World Boxing Super Series goes, I would like to see Josh Taylor uh, become a world champion because I feel... He's got all the skill and ability to, to, to go on to be one of the best in the division. And he, this tournament that he's gone into is going to show us eventually by next year if he is the best in that division. And we're then going to get to see him, hopefully, in the likes of these huge fights that we want to see. So I think Josh Taylor, for me, there probably is other fighters out there but I am not. I'm going off the top of my head here. I'm not. I'm not. I've not sat here all afternoon and 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 mulled on this. I've decided to go sort of spur of the moment off the top of my head answer. And Josh Taylor would be one I'd like to see next year become a world champion. What about you, Hamed? Ooh, really tough question. Good question. I, I'm going to go with Alexander Gavazdik. I think if he could beat Adonis Stevenson, who's 41. That will make the light heavyweight division even better. At the moment, I think that's the best division in boxing. And this is a tough question because there's so many different departments and weight class sections you could actually answer. But if you could get Gavosdik doing a number or a job on Stevenson, which is now any given night, I think Stevenson is arguably one of the best light heavyweights. Then you could have three very good undefeated uh, light heavyweights. You'll have Bivol, Baturbiev uh, and Gavosdik. Two of them, I think, are quite young. Petubia is a bit older. But then you could have a shootout between those three. And then you'll have Eldia Alvarez rematching Kovalev. And he'll be also waiting, if he wins that rematch with Kovalev, uh, waiting to fight one of the other three. But I think uh, I'd like to see that. Because at the moment, there's not a World Boxing Super Series in that weight class. I'd like to see the best fight the best. And I think if Kovazdik wins, we'll probably get one more closer. Because I think Stevenson has been kind of a guy that has been known to kind of handpick his fights in the last couple of years. He did fight Badu Jack, I'll give him credit, and now he's going to fight Gavazdik. But I think it'll be better for the division if Gavazdik wins that fight. Uh, and just to add to my uh, Josh Taylor pick, and the reason uh, I'd want him to become champion next year, because he did ask why, uh, I would want him to become world champion next year because I'd like to see Scotland get another world champion. And obviously what Ricky Burns has done for Scotland is transcended them even more than what they already were in, at boxing level with previous champions that they've had. But I'd love to see someone like Josh Taylor, who just seems a down-to-earth, honest guy, go out there and, and win a world title and, and do it for his, his, his country. It'd be, be good. Um, Hamed, this is another difficult question. I, uh, I've, I've got this in my mind already, but Cameron's asked, what is the best performance of 2018 so far? Uh, there's, there's, there's so many, Cameron, that we could talk yeah. about. There's so many big fights that have gone on this year. But I, I think, for me, I might be stealing this one from you, Hamed, if you've got one in your mind, but I think Lomachenko's victory over Linares was probably the best performance, I think, this year so far. I'm not too sure if I agree. I think before, he did get dropped, so... Maybe going up and wait, and the way he came back, I can understand why you say that, because, I mean, he did show heart and grit. But I'd personally say is Nayo Inouye, when he, he 
decapitated, I thought, and de- dismantled Jamie McDonald in one round. And I was watching that. I was like, wow. I mean, there's been people saying that McDonald might have been weight trained. But I, I don't think... I don't think McDonald was as weight trained as some people made out because he didn't manage to put on 24 pounds and Inui came up from was a super flyweight or flyweight or yeah. whatever so he, he had to move up as well and and McDonald, not McDonald. I mean, you know, he showed in his next fight that he is a guy who knocks people out in one or two rounds. I don't think that was the same McDonald that beat uh, Kameda, but I think Inui is like a hundred times better than Kameda, and Kameda wasn't a bad fighter. I think he dropped uh, McDonald. I just think Inui is special, probably one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world, and yeah, I think with this World Boxing Super Series, this will do him. Uh, a tremendous amount of credit if he could get through and get the big fights with the likes of Burnett, which he should. I think now that he's already advanced to the next round and the likes of Tete. And if he could win it, that will probably stamp his authority. At the moment, I think he's, uh, um, I'd say, definitely top 10 power one fighter in my eyes. Probably a top six. I don't think at the moment top five based on resume he is, but he is one of the best fighters. That was a big statement. I mean, McDonald was unbeaten for 11 or 12 years. Had 22 or something uh, fights where he hadn't lost. Had 11 or 10, I think, title defenses. That was a statement. And uh, performance-wise, I got to give it to Inui in May of 2018 in Japan where he did. That was a statement. Well, Cameron, thanks for your questions. Uh, three great questions there, and uh, give us something to mull over. Uh, this is great. So, two more questions to go through before we call it an evening and call it a podcast. Uh, we've got Matt Shaw who has asked Has Bell you got any chance against Usyk? And if he does, how? My thoughts. Great, great question. Yeah, great well, question. well, my thoughts on this is: Does he have a chance against him? Of course, he has a chance against him. He's probably got a puncher's chance against him, and that's what most people will say when they give Bellew the the nod over Usyk. But he's shown in moving up in weight classes uh, from light heavyweight, where he looked very drained and, and and naturally looked a little bit ill at light heavyweight. When he moved up to cruiserweight. Yes, he, he looked a bit stodgy in some of the fights. He beat Makabu, great performance, great comeback after getting caught cold. Becomes that champion, world champion there. Moves up to heavyweight, fights David Hay, BJ Flores. Looks good in the second Hay fight. Yes, Hay was shot, past his best. But the way he's performed recently, he's shown he can take a punch and he's shown he can hurt people. You know, he's hurt a lot of people. He stopped Makabu. He, he stopped David Hay twice on two, you know, two occasions there. He stopped uh, BJ Flores as well. So he's got the punch power to hurt Usyk if he can get near him. That is the big key factor in that one. If he gets near him and lands, then maybe we'll see Usyk tested and in trouble for the first time in his career. And 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 for me, if he does beat him, he's probably going to do it. Uh, by knockout and that would be the way he wins this fight if he does win it I do think he's got a chance but I'm not going to sit here and say uh, I'm going 80-20 on Bellew I think it's I'm going to lean a little bit towards Usyk's boxing skills but I'm never going to never going to count Tony Bellew out because he's proven a lot of people wrong time and time again Ahmed your thoughts I think great question great fight I can't wait for this fight probably one of the most anticipated fights this year I thought Bellu was, wasn't going to take the fight so I'm going to give him credit has he got a chance of course he's got a chance I think he's got a more chance stylistically than 
then Gassiev, before the fight, obviously, Gassiev was almost uh, even not because of what he did. But I think that's just because everyone has managed to underestimate Belu throughout his career. But still, to make fights, I think if Belu could survive five, six rounds in the first fight with he, even though he, I think, was kind of, I'd say, definitely faded, arguably shot, even in that first fight. But he still was very dangerous. I think that he, even that first fight against Bellu would have given Joshua, Anton Joshua and Wilder trouble. Once his leg went, obviously, I think Bellu took over. And from there on, he he wasn't the same guy. Uh, he had one leg. But in that first five rounds, Bellu showed he could hang with a legitimate heavyweight. I think he was a top 10 heavyweight. I know he had seen better days. His timing was way off and things like that. But he showed he was still winning the rounds. He was 4-1 up in those first five rounds. So no one gave Tony Bellu a chance. I can't remember one or two. I remember one or two people. And that's it. I was one of the few guys that I think the people that I spoke to said if it goes past four or five rounds, I think Bell will win it. I still picked, I think, he because I wanted he to win. Um, could he be too sick? I think he can, but I think it's a huge task. Usyk is naturally the favorite. He, he on the road, he's beaten Bradis, he's beaten Gassiev, he's beaten Glowacki, he's beaten Michael Hunter. The list goes on and on. This is a very decorated fighter. He's been getting hyped up a lot. I think there's a couple of people that I think out there that he would have beaten Holyfield. I heard someone say he might have beaten Ali. I think that's a bit over the top. But I think Usyk is being set up to go up to the heavyweight division. But to answer the question, I think Bellu can, but it's a tall order. I'd probably say... I wouldn't say it's a mismatch. I'd say Bellu is live. I'd give Bellu about 40% chance in this fight. I think Usyk is a 60-40 clear favourite. I think Bellu has home advantage. And Bellu has impressed me a lot against Mukabu when he got dropped. He got up, he showed heart. Got heart of a lion. What he did with Hay. What he did with even Stevenson. I thought he gave Stevenson a good fight up until he got knocked out. thought he kind of, kind of caught Stevenson. But Stevenson showed he is a really good fighter as a light heavyweight. I think... The key in this fight is the tactics. If they could draw, if they could draw Usyk into a fight like Bradis did, I think Bellu might. Bellu could clip him and could probably knock him out. But a safe bet is I think Usyk will probably outbox him and is the clear favorite in this fight, just based on skill and talent. So there's only one final question before we wrap the episode up. Uh, it's a friend of the show uh, and friend on, on Twitter, good guy Paul Altai. He's put, with knowing more about the Northwest scene than me, who should I be looking out for? Top three. It's probably a question more aimed at myself, this one, Hamed, obviously with me uh, covering a lot of the yeah. Northwest stuff as well. Um, so probably top of the list is going to be Mark Heffron at the moment, who's fighting on the Frampton Warrington undercard for the British title. Now Jason Wellborn has vacated that. He is uh, probably the top prospect in the Northwest. He's he's looking like he's going to go on to become British champion, and rightly so. Uh, if I'm going to look down the list about other fighters in the Northwest that are at certain levels at the moment, um, I quite fancy Dale Canelo Coyne, uh, aptly named, uh, to, to to go on to do good things in uh, the middleweight division and. He, he's really starting to step up in level of opposition. He trains down at Steve Mailer's gym uh, with alongside Terry Flanagan, and he's I think he's about 13, 14 and 0 now, so he's definitely one to watch out for. And uh, third one off the uh, off the top of my head, um, there's quite a few at the moment. I could be missing loads of people off who could be shouting at me, you know, going, no, you forgot about such and such a body. Um, if I'm looking at other prospects around the, the, the sort of northwest at the moment, 
it's a difficult one because there's, there's there really really is so many different prospects to, to 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 talk about. I think the third one for me would be Lyndon Arthur uh, up at light heavyweight. He's one that has got a very good amateur background and a very good professional career so far. I think he's about ten and eleven or eleven and zero now. Uh, fights on a lot of Frank Warren's undercards, but. He's a very big puncher, and I'm really excited to see when he gets unleashed onto uh, your TV screens the impact he's going to make because he's a he's a seriously hard puncher. And if you've not heard of Lyndon already, then you need to go check him out and check out some of his fights. And this guy, he, once he gets in with a big fighter, he is really going to do well. And I think he will step up as the level of opposition steps up for him. So, yeah, Mark Heffron, Dale Coyne and Lyndon Arthur are probably the three top hot Northwest prospects at the moment. So, Hamed, it's been a long episode. Uh, for everyone that's listening, I hope you're still listening at this point. We're about two hours, ten minutes in. But it's been a really good episode, really good to catch up with Yohamed and really good to go through all of the fights uh, that's coming up and over the weekend and some good questions from the listeners. So thank you, guys. Really appreciate your questions. Uh, Hamed, have you got anything else before I wrap it up? No, I appreciate uh, coming back on the show. I appreciate the episode. I thought it was really good. You covered everything. I'm really looking forward to the next couple of weeks and months leading up to the Tyson Fury Wilder fight. I think the boxing schedule is packed and I'm really looking forward to the fights and it's been a really worthwhile day talking about boxing today. Ahmed, as always, thanks for coming on. So for listeners, you guys, uh, all I want you to do for this episode format is go on to uh, iTunes and to Podbean and rate us and give us a little review to tell us if you like the podcast or if there's any improvements you want us to make. And if you don't always follow us, or already follow us, sorry, then get us following us on iTunes, on Podcast, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, all available podcasting apps you can find us on youtube if that's your preferred weapon of choice go on there and have a listen to the podcast episodes on there uh following us on twitter you can find myself at sean basso esbr and at btr boxing pod you can find hamed uh, at hamed underscore zaman and you can also find all the other available platforms on there too but that's about it for this episode i think we've covered lots of things off today and really appreciate the questions that we've had in and thanks very much for you guys for listening hamed it's been a pleasure as always and to you the podcast listener thanks very much and we'll speak to you on the next episode Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.